Hey there, David Bocage au micro ici pour un nouvel épisode de Dread sur le Tape. J'espère que vous allez bien. J'espère que l'automne vous traite convenablement, hein, peu importe d'où vous nous écoutez. Euh, D'ailleurs, à chaque fois que vous nous, vous nous écrivez sur nos réseaux sociaux pour nous dire que vous nous écoutez d'endroits X ou Y, ça nous fait extrêmement plaisir. Donc, il y en a des gens qui, qui nous écoutent de toutes les régions du Québec, euh, du Canada même, euh, les francophones hors Québec. Il y a également des gens de l'Europe, des Français entre autres, mais beaucoup d'autres euh, qui nous ont écrit. Il y a même des gens de l'Allemagne. J'avais déjà eu des, des messages de l'Australie. Bref, n'hésitez jamais à écrivez nous sur les réseaux sociaux. Ça nous fait extrêmement plaisir de savoir d'où vous nous écoutez. Et euh, c'est très, très chaleureux, quoi. Et peu importe où vous êtes, j'espère que l'automne vous traite bien. Euh, parler d'Australie, tantôt, c'est peut-être pas l'automne en Australie, c'est peut-être l'inverse. En tout cas, bref, j'espère que l'automne vous traite convenablement, que vous avez sorti votre petit jacket et peut-être que la nouvelle saison de Dress Tape vous apporte un petit baume hein, dans la froideur. Euh, okay. J'ose espérer, j'ose... Peut-être, le plus beau compliment de ceci, et mettons, les épisodes de Dress Tape là, ont peut-être l'effet sur vous d'un... Peut-être l'équivalent d'un pumpkin spice latte pour une jeune étudiante universitaire avec les cheveux en tocon mouillé et des sweatpants. Donc, alors, euh, voilà, donc, euh, merci de nous écouter, ça me fait extrêmement plaisir et je suis très fier de vous présenter le nouvel épisode avec un gars que vous connaissez probablement, j'ose, si vous êtes un fan du Canadien ou peut-être que vous, vous avez suivi la Ligue nationale, Monsieur Dale Weiss de Dutch Gretzky. On va revenir sur son surnom. Dans l'épisode, ne vous inquiétez pas, tout sera expliqué. Euh, oui, Dale, oui, écoute, euh, quel gars fabuleux, un gars tellement, tellement smart. J'ai eu la chance, j'avais eu la chance de le croiser alors que je faisais des capsules pour le Rocket de Laval. Et tout de suite, il m'avait semblé être un excellent, une excellente personne. Euh, et puis, euh, dans la pandémie, tout ça, enchaînement d'événements, c'est un peu parti lui aussi, un peu son propre podcast qui s'appelle Habs Tonight. Vous aurez checké ça. Ce que j'aime de Dale, oui, c'est que c'est un gars qui ne. Ne se gêne pas pour dire ce qu'il pense vraiment, surtout avec euh, peut-être la Ligue nationale qui est derrière lui, selon euh, évidemment ses propres dires. Et donc, il, il peut dire son opinion euh, telle qu'il l'entend sans avoir peur maintenant d'avoir de, des, euh, des conséquences. Donc, c'est vraiment un gars qui est assez transparent, puis euh, j'adore son franc-parler, j'adore son honnêteté, puis il nous donne un, un, un insider, insider information, inside, du, du insight dans le fond sur ce que c'est d'être dans la Chambre du Canadien, avec les individus en question, euh, même euh, Ligue américaine, on va parler de Laval, de Joël Bouchard, donc bref, j'adore converser avec Dale c'est vraiment comme parler avec un bon boy dans ton équipe de hockey autour d'une pinte, et euh, vraiment, vraiment, euh, j'adore ce gars-là. Um, J'ai... Um, Qu'est-ce que je veux dire par rapport à ça? Oui, c'est ça, c'est que Dale, avec la pandémie, en tout cas, bref, il est revenu dans Bubble avec les Canadiens. Mais là, euh, vous allez le comprendre, en tout cas, là, il recommence à jouer hockey après une année sabbatique euh, durant un concours de circonstances. C'est particulier. Donc là, on a enregistré ça de, euh, ben, moi, de Montréal, mais lui, de la Suède. Et euh, Parce qu'il a recommencé à jouer dans la Ligue suédoise. Et euh, on, la seule fois que je voulais mentionner pour le contexte, c'est qu'au début, on commence un peu euh, sur les chapeaux de roue, c'est que, en fait, Dale avait une heure de, de podcast et Dale euh, arrivait pas. Puis j'étais comme un peu surpris. Je me suis c'est le genre de gars qui est à l'heure, tu sais, un gars qui a une éthique de travail, un gars de... Et euh, j'essaie de le contacter, incapable. Je me suis dit, wow, ça ressemble vraiment à un oubli. T'sais, il a l'air d'un gars qui a juste complètement oublié. Il est dans un autre fuseau horaire. Euh, euh, on lui a rappelé, mais en tout cas... Et finalement, non, c'était son Internet qui a, qui a lâché. Puis pendant 40 minutes, il, il était même pas capable de répondre à mes messages sur Instagram parce que son, son Internet était était down. Donc, euh, tout ça pour dire, il est arrivé... Euh, il, 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 habite, il arrive toujours d'habitude d'avance, donc il était comme il est arrivé un peu en s'excusant, tout ça. Mais on a quand même fait le podcast, on a pu faire euh, tout ce qu'on avait à faire. Donc, tout ça pour dire, c'est pour ça que Manny, je pense qu'il fait une référence à Nalon. Euh, c'est pas que je voulais pas. Donc, bref, voilà. Euh, je vous laisse au bon soin de ce cher Dale Weiss et de moi-même du passé. Alors, 
Ça s'est passé, ça a été enregistré le 20 septembre 2021. Il, je le dis parce que avec son podcast Abstinent, des fois, il, il, ressort sur, il est sorti sur d'autres sujets récemment. Euh, C'est par exemple ce qu'il pensait de Marc Bergevin, des affaires comme ça. Et, euh, mais ça, c'est sorti après euh, qu'on a enregistré le podcast. Donc, euh, des fois, si vous êtes ah, pourquoi tu n'as pas parlé de telle ou telle affaire? C'est dans ce cas-ci, parce que c'est sorti après l'enregistrement qui était, je le rappelle, le 20 septembre 2021. Le... Ben, c'est bon, j'ai plus rien à dire. Et donc, euh, je vous souhaite un excellent épisode. Le voici, Dale, l'ancien numéro 22 du Canadien, Dale Weiss. Dale, thanks for being on, man. <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, a little bit of a struggle, a little <laughs> bit of a struggle to get on there, boys. I apologize, but um, <laughs> honestly, my internet's been incredible. I've been here for two months now, and yeah. I've never had an issue. And I always come on early. I know before I do mine, I come yeah. on early and I test my internet and I make sure I'm good. Yeah, and I literally get on. Uh, half an hour early and I was like, okay, I haven't had a problem. So it's not gonna be a problem. And I've been battling for, you know, 65 minutes now, but yeah. we're on. So we're, we're in business now. We're in business. Just to give people a, a certain context, you're not in uh, Canada right now. We're not, we're not even in the same time zone. Right, right. I am in uh, Oskarshamn, Sweden, which is like uh, the southern part of Sweden. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people know about this, this area, but, um, Yeah, so I'm I'm six hours ahead of you, I believe. So yeah, it's been weird. It's been really weird. Like you know, I I talk to my kids when I'm going to bed, and and they're just getting home from school, and then I wake up, and I got to be up for almost you know three quarters of a day before they wake up. So it's it's been weird, but I'm uh, I'm starting to get used to it. So the family didn't tag along. Yeah, I, I you know what, like my kids, um, you know, my oldest is going to be eight uh, this Saturday actually, and my daughter six. And, you know, they traveled around a lot, like when we went Philly and Montreal yeah. and then Winnipeg and bounced around a little bit. Um, and the older two, I just, I, 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 I don't know. The last year was so cool. They got a chance to have friends and have activities for the first time and, and be in the same place that we're in in the summer. So that was just really cool to see for them. Um, and, and I, I just didn't want to take them out of that. I, they finally got some friends. Um, yeah. You know, they're happy where they're at in Winnipeg. So I, I just didn't want to take them out of that. So it's a struggle for me, but, um, you know, I, I, I can get through it. It's one season. And, uh, and that was kind of a, it was an easy decision for me to make. How did your kids like the Montreal? Uh, how how um, did they like Montreal? Loved, like, they because, loved like, Montreal. The French oh, part, but it. yeah, they, they loved it. Yeah, they loved it. So, um, you know, my son and my daughter was probably one when I was there my first time in 2015, yeah. 2016. Uh, but then my son was young, obviously loved the Canadians. I was the first team that he could, he could say is the first team that he could actually, you know, comprehend when he could see me play. Um, so that was, that was his favorite. So when we got traded back, he was so pumped. Um, you know, we, we, we live in Broussard, have a business in Broussard. So we, we just love the area. Um, and you know, my, my kids included, he loved it. He went to like, um, Mary Laurier Academy was like a, it was an English school, but he took some French and uh, he loved it. Yeah. Did he pick, did he pick up some French along the way? Yeah, he was, I mean, he was way better than me. Uh, my, my wife can speak French. She's not, um, you know, she's from Winnipeg, but, but took French immersion in school. So she would kind of uh -huh. help him with the French work. That was, that was definitely not my strong suit. I'm sitting there trying to like, you know, he's almost teaching me in grade yeah. one to speak French. So it was, it was something I couldn't pick up, but my wife really helped him out. Because there's a there's a French community in uh, Winnipeg as 
Jonathan Tay's huge St. Bonnie Fest. Yeah, yeah, that's actually where I have um, you know one of the rental buildings that I own. It's a great French community. Yeah. Um, you know, it's fr- French is huge in Winnipeg too. There's a lot of French speakers in Winnipeg. Yeah, and they're not Quebecers. They're actually people from the area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's you know they have their own schools. Um, you know, it's partially why I I bought the building in that area because you know. I know how passionate French people are about their language and, and, and yeah. you know, they like to stay with each other. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like you could go in St. Boniface in Winnipeg and, you know, think you're in, uh, you know, some neighborhood on the South shore and, uh, right. in Montreal, it would be exactly the same. Right. So how's the, uh, how's the Swedish experiment going so far? I mean, for how long have you been there? And yeah, so I came here, uh, August 2nd, um, And it, it, it was, it's an adjustment. Um, you know, I've, I've only ever lived in Europe for, uh, two and a half months back in 2013 on the lockout. I, I was in Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like, uh, an adjustment again, just the living styles. Um, you know, living in an apartment and, uh, small cars and, uh, just a lot of different things. Um, but it's been good because, you know, everybody on the team speaks English. Everything, the coach is in English, the players are in English. Everything is just English. So the, the transition that way has been easy. Um, and then I played five exhibition games and I uh, sprained my MCL, partially tore it. So I'm, uh, I'm injured right now. So not, no. not a great start. Not a great start. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Yeah, freak, freak injury. So, um, you know, we, we played four exhibition games on the road uh, in, in like random places, these small little rinks. It was horrible. So I was pretty amped up, you know, to finally <laughs> play a home game, get in front of the crowd. I know the crowd and, uh, you know, the papers were excited. You know, this guy played in the NHL. Let's see what he can do. So like first shift, I go out and run a guy like huge hit. I absolutely smashed this guy behind the net. <laughs> Skate around for like maybe 10 more seconds. And I didn't think anything happened. And then all of a sudden I got this pain in my knee. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, Could that, there's no way it could happen from the hit. Like I skated for 20 seconds. I didn't feel anything. I went to the bench hoping it was just kind of going to go away. Uh, and then I could barely stand on it. So I knew something was wrong. Then I skated off and the doctor came and showed me the clip and, and it was just like an innocent play. Um, I literally just, just skated past my teammate and he bumped my knee and it just went like, no and it was way. just like such a subtle play. I didn't even realize it happened. And, um, unfortunately that's kind of all it takes to, to tear your MCL. So when's the, for how long do you have to be on the sidelines? Yeah. So I, I've been out, uh, three weeks now. It's normally like a four to six week injury. So I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to be skating maybe by the end of this week and maybe play next weekend. That'd be four weeks. Um, it feels pretty good. I can do a lot off ice. I'm still waiting, um, to get a brace for my knee. It's a little bit of a different, um, uh, what's the right word? Things happen a little slower here in the NHL. You kind of like mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. You get used to everything yeah. uh, happening right away, and and you you know you have the best of the best. You get away for things a little bit. So I'm still waiting for my knee brace to come, and right. uh, and then once I get that, I can start skating. Yeah, we had uh, Jerv on the podcast last week. Uh, yep. the, the the equipment manager in Montreal. Oh yeah, and yeah, he's like apparently one of the best of the best, and he's like uh, when a guy gets traded or whatever, we send him his gear like right away. Like he gets. He gets the gear like in a few days and guys are like, whoa, I'm not even used to that in the NHL. So let oh, yeah. alone like in Sweden, whatever, like league, you like, it's a different reality. Well, it's completely different. I, <laughs> I, uh, I got hurt on Thursday. Uh, my injury was on a Thursday and then I didn't get an MRI to the following Friday. 
Right. So I'm like, I'm crutching around, barely walking. <laughs> Don't know if I like, you know, tore my ACL, tore my MCL. I'm like, you know, walking three flights of stairs, get to my apartment every day. Like just no idea where, you know, the NHL, you would have had an MRI the next morning, had your answer and everything would have been figured out. So, you know, there's a, that's a, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm adjusting to that are a little <laughs> different from the NHL over here. That's when you realize how good you had it and how lucky and yeah. privileged you were oh, yeah. just to play yeah. in the NHL and you played for like over 500 games which is like very decent but when you uh, you made the uh, the final choice of you know when you chose Sweden what else like what were the options other countries other leagues what were they at the time yeah so uh, it kind of goes back to last year when I finished in the bubble we finished at the end of August there with Montreal um, yeah. I had a deal in place already in Switzerland and I was in the bubble for two months um, away from my family. My twins were still like a year old. They were still young. And it was a weird time in the world, right? Like you don't know what's happening with COVID or the season's going to play, what's going to happen. So I went home for two weeks and the Switzerland team was like, hey, you got to come now or deals off the table. And I was like, I wasn't ready to make a decision at that point. So I was like, you know what? Whatever, forget it. I'm not going to play. So I, I, that's kind of how I ended up passing on that. And then You know, I, I, I had some NHL tryout offers um, for the start of last year. I would have been th this year in January, sorry. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a chance to skate for three months. So there's absolutely no way I could have went for a tryout. Everything was locked down in Winnipeg. There was no rinks open. You couldn't sneak into a building. So I wasn't about to jump and do an NHL tr you know, training camp. The training camps were 10 days. It was just a bad scenario. So, you know, I was like, I'll just wait it off and, you know, I'll wait for, for a European free agency to open. Their season ends earlier, you know, March, April, and, and I'll see what happens. Um, you know, I had some offers in Russia and I wasn't really crazy about Russia because um, originally I thought I, I wanted to bring my family and I wanted to go somewhere that, um, you know, we could have a good experience and enjoy life a little bit. And, um, you know, Russia wasn't, wasn't, you know, you, you hear some good stories, um, but, but you definitely hear a lot more, um, you know, bad stories about the living. And like I said, I already didn't really want to move my family. And if I was going to go somewhere, it had to be really nice. Um, yeah. And then because I backed out of the Swiss offers, there was a lot of teams there that were like, wow, he's not committed to playing hockey. And I heard that excuse a lot, which was pretty crazy. Um, you know, barring that we're in a global pandemic, I got a young family, but you know, it is what it is. So yeah. um, I had some offers in the Swedish league. Um, you know, this was a team I, I, the coach called me right away and was like, you know, really, really hungry to get me. And I really liked what he had to say. And, um, you know, I wasn't too concerned about going to a, a, a you know, a big market. And, and I just wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I thought me and the, and the coach were on the same page and I could potentially bring my family. So that's how, uh, how I landed on here. So you kind of ended up taking a sabbatical, like in a way, you know, because of like all the stops. Yeah, essentially, essentially it wasn't my plan. Right. I, yeah. I, I didn't really want to but i just uh, i don't know man i i just really I, i just really wanted to be with my family at that yeah. time and and i was you know the world was kind of unsure of what was happening so i yeah. just i thought it was the best thing for me and now that you've started started playing again the the style of play in sweden uh i remember going we've talked about it a, a bit uh, but i i went with the podcast in 2018 to meet with peter forsberg we did this thing called mission forsberg trying to find the guy and we actually like <laughs> did a crowdfunding campaign and people were like yes go get him and then we anyway it was crazy crazy adventure Man, that's incredible though. yeah that's so incredible that's unreal that was like because now we're entering our sixth season that was our second season and we 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 thought we gotta start with a bang you know and we started the second first episode of this of the second season we said all right guys we got a crowdfunding campaign five thousand dollars if we make it 
we buy plane tickets and, and hotels and what have you, and we try to find. And I don't know. And like, I, I haven't played in the NHL. Like, you're, you're probably like two texts, uh, like text, text messages away from Peter Forsberg, you know, but I, yeah. I, like, I'm no one. Like, so it was like not, I had not like prepared or anything. I was like, hey, maybe like it's just me because he's like my, you know, youth. Uh, my first favorite hockey player was Forsberg. Well, it was of just course. A, everybody it was a horse. Him, That's and, so uh, wild. Uh, yeah. And then we ended up doing it. And then it was like, when we got the money, it was like, we, we actually have to find him now. Yeah. And then like, we, we just can't like back up, back up from this stuff. So we, anyway, we ended up finding him and that we went to Sweden and we went to his office in Stockholm and, and then no way. Yeah. yeah like yeah. just randomly, you just like went to the office, knocked on the door. No, no. We had like this guy from his hometown, which is like, uh, like up north. That was like, yeah. Yeah, like I know Peter. I I really want you guys to do this, and, I, and we're like, who's this? Gr- who's this? We call him like the the MVP because he's like the MVP from the Forsberg because he's like, I'm gonna like, he plays golf with Peter, and he's from the same town. He's like, wow, you're Canadian, we're Swedish, we both love hockey. Like he he kind of took it upon himself, like as like a, like he was very proud. Of, like we have to make this happen. Like what is this? Like who are those two French Canadian guys? Like very random. Yeah. I just want incredible. Wanna, so anyway, he, he just like arranged a meeting and we did this like preview. We had like this trailer we filmed just to like, like as a marketing piece. Anyway, it was crazy. And he, <laughs> and then he hooked us up with Marcus Naslin. So when we were up there, we did a, a oh, podcast wow. with Naslin in the arena, like in the lobby where, uh, and he was just the, the greatest, of course, like typical Swedish so shy nice, guy, man. like looking downward. And you're like, dude, you're like a fucking, all-star like you're borderline hall of famer and you're like you were on the cover of nhl 2005 (laughs) but he's just like you know classic you know living in the small town and just and anyway so all that being said we ended up at the final game between uh vexha and uh in the north because we're like hey like at this point, let's go and watch a game. It's it's the fourth game, and Vaksha is leading up three nothing. So they basically everyone knows they're going to win the championship that day. And it was yeah. uh, Elias Pettersson was on the team. He was nineteen. Okay. Oh wow. Won everything that year. Won the scoring title, uh, regular season. Won the regular uh, the the scoring title in the playoff yeah, MVP. Sure. He was just like too good, and he was like so skinny. He was like a hundred fifty <laughs> pounds. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so we get to the game, and my buddy who was with me, who co-produces the the podcast, Tom, he played um, Princeton. He played a Division One, and he, he's a a goaltender. He was a he played some good hockey, and we sit there and like, all right, Swedish Elite League. This is the final two best team, and the the style of play, I remember, it was like so shocking to me, like so open. I think like. Pedersen got like four breakaways. It seemed like the best beer league in the world. Not that it was they were not good players, but but the style of play was so open. I was like, this yeah. is incredible. Like, what's happening yeah, here? Like, I, I think that's what I, I, I mean. The best beer league in the world might like it that, might be. I, and and we again, I I mean in the in like the most respectful yeah, way yeah. possible. That's that's kind of what it is. Like. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't. I didn't watch it before I came over here. Um, you know, I I, I listen to Spit and Chicklets and stuff, and I yeah. heard uh, Christopher Stieg talk about it, and he's like, you know, it's kind of like rugby on ice a little bit too. Yeah. And I thought this was a very interesting comment, and um, I mean, I I haven't seen the regular season. I mean, I've I've watched us play two games, but just in the exhibition games that I played in, like, it's a different style of hockey. It's not what I thought at all. Um, like it is wide open and, and you can get some good chances. And a guy like Pedersen, obviously, um, 
you know, a, a worldly talent in the NHL. I can only imagine what he did at this league, but it's a weird style. It's really hard. Like for, for the big ice though, they really like crowd spaces defensively and, and sometimes they don't spread it out enough. Like, yeah. you know, the ice is so big and so wide and you could really, you know, control the puck nicely, but it's a weird, it's a weird style. I'm still trying to get adjusted to it. It's, um, and how does your style fit in, you know? Because you can, because like, are you playing like, because if they brought you in, guy coming from the NHL, it's to play top six, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's, um, you know, like, it, it, like I said, it's it's crowded areas. So it's like a grinding game. So it, it does benefit, you know, you know, I can play, I can play the game here any way you want, but there's just a lot of like clutching and grabbing and, and hooking. And oh, obviously yeah. the, the officiating is not the mm. best. So you can pretty much like a defenseman can go in and like bear hug you and hold you all day long. Like really? there, there's a lot of things that's happened here that I haven't seen in like hockey before. Like you go to the front <laughs> of the net and like the other defense like grabs your stick. Like there's beer. League. That's, that's like a beer league move, you know, completely. And, and that's what happens a lot here. And the officiating is just atrocious. So I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I had one ref that like might have been the second well, second last game before I got hurt. Uh, first, I think it was first shift of the game. I'm like two inches inside the faceoff circle. Like, you know, NHL refs don't even kick out people for this. And he's like pointing at me. He's like, get out of there. Get out. And I was like, okay, man, relax. So then play goes on. Boom. We get a shot. Another faceoff. And he skates by me and he goes, try me. That's what he said to me. <laughs> The linesman, the linesman goes, try me. Jesus. And I'm like looking around like, this guy mic'd up? Like, is this a joke? Is this a prank? Like, what? It's, yeah, it was so weird, man. So I don't know if it's like, there's bias officiating on like imports or what it is, but yeah. it's, um, that, that's what I've seen so far. Do you feel like coming, coming over from the NHL, people are like, hey, we're going to show you or something? Yeah. I, I don't even know if it's like, we're going to show you, but it's like, you know, you're going to come to the Swedish league. We're going to like, You know, you're, you're not going to get calls and kind of stuff like that's, I mean, again, it was only exhibition game, but I saw it for, I saw it for six games and now that, that was more than enough that I needed to see. Yeah. So it's, I'm hoping it's different the regular season. We'll see when I get back. We'll have to, we'll have to talk after that. <laughs> that's when you realize the refs you had in the NHL are also the best in the world, you know, at, at the true, show. true. And I, you know, I love yelling at refs. It's my, you know, one of my favorite <laughs> things. I mean, yeah, it's NHL. You sit on the bench, something goes wrong. You yell at the ref. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's just what you do. It's a natural yeah. reaction. Like you get a penalty. It's never a penalty. You yell at the ref on the way to the box. You go yeah. grab a seat, but, um, you know, you, you think they're terrible. But they're, you know, they're trying their best. And then you, you come here and you just, oh, it's another world. <laughs> you realize, because people like who, for instance, I don't know, people who listen maybe right now who maybe have just seen you play for the Habs or just, I don't know, on and off, don't know that. But you can bury the puck for real. Like if you go and people go and watch your your, your numbers when you played in the A, uh, when you were with the, the Rangers, like you're and a lot of your seasons, you have more goals than assists for some reason. And I'm like, yeah, oh, for sure. Like yeah, you're, you're I, I think that's what I mean. I've, I've dealt with that my whole career. Like that's something, you know, people are always telling me, uh, you know, I see social media heroes or whatever, you, you know, you're a grinder, you're yeah. a plug, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, like, I don't think you understand how good you have to be to play in the NHL. I don't, I don't care what line you play on. You know, there's, there's plenty of guys in the NHL that play in the third, fourth lines and have unbelievable careers. And just as easily could be top six forwards if they're given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
but but for you sure know, you, you just sometimes you don't get the opportunity or guys carve out roles as penalty killers checkers you know whatever it is but any fourth line guy can leave the nhl and go be an elite player in any other league in the world absolutely without a doubt and people have no idea how tough also guys are like this like softest guy in the nhl is the toughest guy you've ever like encountered in your league, yeah, you know like for you sure. have no in idea league, for sure you have <laughs> no idea how crazy those guys like and i i play um sometimes um there's a beer league here i play on the north shore and uh i don't know if you remember pascal leclerc he was a goaltender for yeah, ottawa yeah, heard, and know, columbus yeah. and now he plays defenseman because his knees are ruined and his like hips and he keep there's a sentence he keeps saying he says if you play top six in the nhl you're a special player Like you're a, like playing playing a top six role in the NHL, you have to be so good. Like you have a special talent at this point, you know. Like it's Absolutely. just it's just a fact, and that doesn't mean like and that's like just to be top six. So the, the other guys down the lineup are all fucking good. Like they're yeah, everybody's so good now. Everybody's so good. Like yeah. you know, the last I would say like. Six, seven years in the NHL where, where those like, you know, the, the fighting has gone down and those lines have changed and teams are going more with like fourth lines that can play. Like everybody can play. Mm-hmm. Everybody can play. Your extra forward who's the 13th forward who plays 30 games a year can play. Yeah. You can play, you know, like guys are just so good. And I think people don't realize, you know, y- you have to carve out a different role for yourself. Like yeah. if you're, if you want to stay, if you want, if you think you're a skilled player and I, I tell this to young guys all the time. If you think you're a skilled player and you're going to play in the NHL and play in the top six, like good luck, good luck. I hope you're really special because you might go there and play for one year. You might play for two years, but the, the, you know, the chances of you doing that are so slim. The chances of you making the NHL are slim. Chances of you being an elite skill guy is very, very slim. So you better find ways to do other things, be able to penalty kill, block shots, check, win faceoffs, like, Those are the things that are going to keep you in the league for a long, long time. Know your role, know your niche, you know, like, and, yeah. and you can, you know, get on the team and, and, and find a role yeah. very quickly that that team needs. And, and, you know, you'll be successful and stay there. But if you think you're just going to go in there and be a skilled guy or, or <laughs> you know, you got another thing coming. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned Winnipeg, your family's in Winnipeg because you're actually from, uh, you're from Winnipeg, right? Yeah. Born and raised. Yep. Yeah. Still, uh, I, I still live there in the summers. Right. And you, because I read somewhere you grew up a Haps fan. And I was like, but there were the Jets. Like, what's the, what's the deal there? Yeah. So the Jets left when I was like seven. Mm. Um, but from from as long as I can remember, my dad was the biggest Montreal Canadiens fan. Like, oh, yeah. you know, from when I was young, we never talked about the Jets. <laughs> um, you know, we couldn't really afford to go to the games. So I, I might have went to like maybe two Winnipeg Jets games in my my life when I was, you know, before they left when I was seven. Because, I mean. We couldn't really afford it. So we would watch the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday night uh, on TV with my dad. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where it started for me. Who were your guys? Who were your guys growing up? Oh, man. I didn't even have main guys. When I was younger, I mean, the one guy that I loved was Keith Kachuk. He played for the Jets. That, that was the one guy that, that was, like, my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had any, like, specific guys that I just loved. I just loved the team. Um, their jerseys. I always had, you know, their clothes with their jerseys. I had the, you know, my light in my room at my parents' <laughs> house. I'm pretty sure it's still the same light. It's the right. Montreal Canadian score clock. <laughs> and there's just Canadians. Everywhere. I just love the logo. Um 
you know, I think like any kid growing up, just you, you, you like what your dad does and you yeah. want to be like your dad. And, uh, that, that was kind of how it stuck with me. You must've been stoked when you got traded to Montreal. Like your dad must've been completely like, well, I was, it was like, it was insane for me when I got traded. It was, you know, I was in Detroit. I was out for a morning skate and Tortorella called me across the ice and I was like, <laughs> okay, I thought maybe he's telling me I was scratched or something. <laughs> And he goes, hey, uh, you just got traded. And then he walks away. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Classic towards. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Didn't say like, you know, good, nothing. Didn't say anything. He's like, yeah, you just got traded. Get off the ice. Walks <laughs> away. I was standing there like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I go off the ice and the trainers are, uh, it was an optional skate. So the trainer's there. He's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, well, I guess I got traded. And he's like, oh, where to? And I was like, well, I don't know. Torch just <laughs> told me to get off. And Gillis, Mike Gillis is the GM at the time. He's going to call me. I said, okay. And then, uh, you know, some of the other guys that weren't skating, like the Sedines and stuff, came in and were like, hey, did you get hurt? I was like, no, I actually got traded. They were like, oh, sorry. Like, it's just, it's really awkward when a guy gets traded, yeah. you don't know. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, they're like, okay, best of luck. And I got undressed. I went back to the hotel. It was like three and a half hours before I actually found out where I was getting traded. I was like texting my agent. I was texting my parents. I was like, hey, is anything on the internet? Like, did uh you see where i'm going like anybody something nobody called me nothing until uh burge finally called me and told me um hey it's mark burge and we just traded for you and that was like uh just a really surreal moment that i'll just i'll never forget obviously like you know i was the biggest habs fan so to know i was going there when things weren't really going well in vancouver mm -hmm. too it was it was such a cool moment do you remember what you're like talking to your dad when you found out and Yeah, so I called my dad right away. Like, as soon as Burge called me, I hung up, called my dad right away. And um, and he was like, he didn't even believe me. He's like, no, no. I was like, yeah, I'm serious. Dad. Like, I'm <laughs> going to the airport right now. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I got to go check the internet. I was like, do you think I fucking lied to you about that? Like, <laughs> who lies about that? Like, come on, man. So he, he was like, I got to call you back. I was like, okay. So I called my brother. Um, you know, I talked to my mom a little bit. And then my dad finally called back. And he was like, He was so pumped. He's like, you guys play Calgary tomorrow. Are you going to play tomorrow? Like <laughs> he was just so jacked up, man. It was, it was a really cool feeling. Did he fly in for your first game or? No, he... no, man. My, my dad is such a blue collar guy. There's like, he wouldn't even let me flew him in if I wanted to. Um, oh. you know, he, he, he got down there, I believe the last uh, weekend of the season, um, I think was the, I think that's the first time he saw it. It was a couple months. I, I got traded, uh, was it beginning of like February 8th or February 9th? And then he got down there like uh, in April to see some games. So it was a little while, but um, you know, the, the first game he was like calling me all afternoon. Like, you know, he's like, Oh, are you, where are you? Where are you staying? Like just nonsense. <laughs> I was like, dad, we talked about this last night. I got to have a nap. Leave me alone. <laughs> he kept calling me, calling me. He was so pumped up, man. Yeah. And uh, it was just so cool. I, it was, I was staying at the, uh, the crystal right across from the bell center. I right. like, I stood there. I was like staring at the ring for like an hour, man. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. This is so cool. As a blue collar type of guy, as you mentioned, your dad, what's his relationship to, you know, to money when your, his son signs, happens to sign at one point a $9 million contract? What's your, what's your dad's take on all this? I mean, because it's, it's just unreal money for anyone, you know? Yeah. It's, um, you know, that's, Uh, partially i think why i'm i'm uh, as humble as i am probably not partially probably why i am um he's always um you know instilled hard work in me and and being a good person um you know and he, like when i would send him some of the checks like you know i you get a signing bonus and uh yep. you know you get it in three installments and you get the check and you know i send a 
picture to my mom and dad and I'm like, you know, they just, it, it was just really a surreal feeling too. Even for myself, when you start making those big, big, big checks, and then obviously you get into the NHL, you start making more, um, you know, I think one of the best moments for me when I signed that deal, I was in Montreal, I signed with Philly, I flew home, um, my wife picked me up and it was July 1st the next day and I was throwing a huge party at my house. So I, I called my dad and my mom and, and I didn't tell him yet. And I said, Hey, meet me, meet me at my house. I need you to help me set up for the party tomorrow. Um, and then I got there and I was like, just, I'm not a very emotional person. Like even with my wife, I'm not very emotional. I, I don't really talk about my feelings. It's not really what I do. Um, and it was just like, I was just overrun with emotions. I like started crying and like grabbed my dad. I was like, dad, I just signed with Philly four years, 9.4 million. And it was like just one of the, one of the most gratifying moments of my life. Like, you know, just a guy that's been there for me for everything. Um, and just knowing that, it, that at that level, um, you know, I'd have a substantial impact to help him and my mom out and, and do some things for them. Um, you know, there's just not a better feeling than that. I, not even for myself to have the money. It was like, just, just to, to have that feeling to share with, with someone that's been there along for the ride was just, you know, probably one of the best moments of my life. That's a great story. Did you have, did you ever like buy him anything that you're like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta spoil you in some way. I yeah. So I've done, I've done, you know, as I continue to make more and more, I've done, you know, some more substantial things for them. Um, you know, like when I first signed, I, I bought this truck, it's a really, really nice Lincoln truck. And, um, you know, so he, he bought me when I was 17 in junior, he bought me a truck and I said, you know, and it was, it was a lot of, a lot of money at the time. And, and, um, and it wasn't cr a crazy amount, like, you know, but, um, <laughs> he was like sweating and he was like, I can't believe it. he's like, all right, I got to do this for you. And it was like, I know, I knew it was a big deal for him. Um, so I told him when he bought it, I said, dad, don't worry, I'm going to sign a pro contract in three years. I'll give his truck back to you. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, it's kind of a pipe dream. Pipe dream. <laughs> and, um, And then it was a cool feeling. So I, I went to New York at 20. Um, I didn't have a contract. They're like, you know, we're not going to sign you. You're probably going to go back to junior this year. I said, okay, we'll, we'll see about that. I went to rookie <laughs> camp. I ripped up rookie camp in four days. They offered me a contract. Uh, and, and again, you, you dream about signing your first contract. And then again, I get a chance to call my dad. I said, hey, dad, I'm going to need you to go to Swift Current to get my truck. And he's like, why? What happened to it? And I was like, well, I just signed with New York. So you got to go get it for me. It's yours now. So that was a cool <laughs> feeling. And then... I bought my truck and then three years later, um, I signed my first one way with Vancouver and I went and bought myself a car, I bought this Cadillac car and, and I had it in the driveway and my dad goes, what is this car? I said, it's my new car. I bought it. And he said, well, why would you buy a car? You have a truck. I said, it's not mine anymore. The truck's yours. So I ended up giving him my Lincoln truck mm. and, uh, that was like, that was really cool that, you know, when I gave him back the other one, it was, it was an old shitty truck, but when I could give him a truck, that was, you know. <laughs> literally almost brand new that I barely drove. That was, that was a cool feeling. Um, you know, and, and still to this day, like the guy, he doesn't drive it in the winter. Like it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a truck, you know, but it's like, it's a beautiful truck. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's really, really nice, but the guy babies it. It's, uh, you know, he, he treats it like it's the greatest thing in the world. And, um, and I've, I've sent them on some trips, uh, you know, a couple of material things and stuff like that. Um, That's you know, the and then finally, about like be two or three years ago, I wrote my mom and dad a, a, a pretty substantial check and said, look, like, you know, you reached your limit. Like you can stop working now. Like uh, this, this will be enough for you. And, and after that, I'll take care of you. And my dad still didn't stop working. He was like, ah, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
and then you know throughout the pandemic and stuff you, you know my dad's 60 years old they, there's he's working with older guys guys are getting covid he's working with they're getting shut down and i could see a little bit for the first time in my life that he was kind of like you know this guy loves working he's blue collar like that's his whole life he's loved it and i could see it it was finally like kind of breaking him down a little bit and uh, he wanted to step away from the managing position and, and go back to work. And the, you know, his boss was giving him a tough time and I just, I, I, I couldn't see you do it. So I was like, dad, I knew we were at a birthday and, and I, I cut him another check. I said, here, this is yours. And he's like, I can't take this. I can't. I was like, no, I was like, the last one was supposed to get you to stop. This is like, you need to stop. <laughs> like, I got you. I got you. I you need to stop. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was, you know, Almost as good as signing the contract, but that, that was that was right up there too. That that's, was just uh, that's special. Again, one of those feelings where you know I, I I trained my ass off as a young kid to get to this situation where where I you know I had the funds to give back to the people that did everything for me. That's that's special. Like to be able to do that is very special. But I understand also you're on your dad's part. Like for some people, like retirement is so scary. My dad is. 70 now he works 12 hour a day and i'm like yeah my biggest fear is the day he's gonna retire i'm like what is he gonna do and yep. uh, and my dad is just like your dad but the opposite he's like a phd type of guy who's like studied all his life and i'm like i understand when all you have is work and like what do you do afterwards and probably something you're gonna face when hockey's gonna come to an end for you you're gonna go okay now what and so it's like yeah, for sure for sure i think it's tough for anybody right yeah. when you get in like you just get comfortable in your routine of what you do exactly and and it's scary to do something different especially when you've done it for so long but um you know he's enjoying himself now he's cutting lawns <laughs> and he looks after a couple of my properties and does some stuff so that's great. he's enjoying himself big time that's great the only way to get the, an old man's heart a car that's just classic yep. like i'm gonna get you with the car and he's like oh, just, you know me too well <laughs> yeah well, exactly <laughs> i even i even that's the best way i completely and i even wondered if you're you were named dale because of dale howardchuck growing up in winnipeg was that a reason winnipeg, very famous winnipeg guy. i can't remember My middle name's Kenton, and he, they wanted to name me Kenton. Uh, I don't know. It, it might have been a football player or something that my mom and dad liked, but they didn't want people calling me uh, Kenny and Kenton stuff, so they, <laughs> they just put in my middle name. I don't know why. That's what they told me. <laughs> such a classic name, Dale. Like It's just classic, yeah. like pra yeah, it's, prairies. It's good. I like it, man. It's yeah. unique. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you talked about like coming in, in uh, coming at, uh, well, in New York when you got, Uh, drafted there like as a 20 year old 19 19 20 year old yeah uh, and uh, you played in the a and i i noticed uh, that you rode the bus with maybe one of the most infamous uh age sellers meaning like he was maybe the best paid age seller at the time and you know who i'm talking about but wade redden was in the riding the bus for six million a year at the time and it was big thing at the time people were like oh can you believe he used to be on the olympic team and now he's like yeah. what was the mood with i mean for him for you guys with him on on the team like how how did that go man he was absolutely incredible to us um he was amazing like and and i did it where you know i i played in the nhl for 10 years and went back to the minors making half of what he was making there and i hated it i was miserable every day i couldn't do it i couldn't do it so i I had so much respect for him then when he was doing it. Then when I had to do it, I it blew my respect out of the water. He, man, he would, you know, and, and you're on your rookie contract and we had a really young team there. You know, you, every two weeks you're making, you know, some of the higher guys are making $3,000, like 3,500 bucks every two weeks. Like th th those were big checks. And he was putting money on the board. Um, 
you know, for people that don't understand, it's like uh, we play at home and you really want to win. Uh, guy's got his girlfriend in town. You know, you put 500 bucks that goes toward a team party. Or, you know, if you're playing your old team, you put money on the board that goes toward the team party if you win. And this guy was putting like iPad for the game winner, <laughs> iPad for the game assist, most hits, a thousand bucks wow. to the team, 3,000. He would take the team out for dinner, you know, every two weeks. Like, he was just the best guy, man. There was no, like every single day he came to the rink, he, he was happy. He was laughing. He was happy to share his knowledge with the boys. Um, you know, he was good for us too. Like he played on the first power play with me. Like he was really good for our team, but I just, man, I cannot say enough good things about the type of person he was. And, and I, I truly learned a lot from him. I was, I mean, I only played, I think, 40, 45 games that year that I was with him. But I learned so much from him on, on you know, just how to be a good pro, like uh, taking care of your body and stuff like that. And it was just, man, it was it was a lot of fun to play with him. Great, great stories. I, I, I didn't know that. I was, I was wondering, like, could he, like, be bitter or stuff? And he was the exact no, opposite. He, he wasn't bitter, like, not one day. <laughs> and I, I was like, you're just waiting one day, like... But at that point, it was different because my mindset was different. I'm, I'm a young kid, and here, here's this guy making six point five mm. million, and I'm like, well, no wonder. How could you be pissed off when right. he's making six point five? Right. But then when I started, you know, making two and three million, and it's like the money doesn't matter if you're not where you want to be and hockey struggling. Like it doesn't matter if you're yeah. making fifty grand or three million. It really doesn't matter. That was something I learned as I went along. But as a young kid, I was like, well, of course he's happy. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. when I realized it, I was like, wow, that's really impressive, the attitude that he had the whole time. I got the same feeling, and you know best because you play with him. I didn't, but when I, I, I got to walk in Laval's dressing room and Carl Osner, the guy oh. seemed to always have a goddamn smile on his face. And I was like, he seems pretty happy. Like He seemed to have a great attitude all the time. Am I right? Or Man, that was that was that's actually a perfect comparison. That is the most perfect comparison you could ever make. Um, right. You know, he, he kept me in a good mood down there. I like we, we hung out on the road and we sat in the back of the bus together and stuff. Um, because again, I was just so impressed with his attitude and, and his mindset. Um, he, you know, he never had a bad day. He never had a bad day. He, he was always happy. You know, lots of times, me and him were driving from um, you know Bursard to Laval in the mornings and. You know, taken stuck in traffic for an hour and a half, hour 40, and I'm <laughs> furious. I'm miserable. And he gets out with his coffee and he's smiling and he's just having a great day, man. And immediately I had to, I knew I had to turn my attitude around when I saw him. So he was, he was outstanding, man. You had a good read on that one. True, uh, true professional, Carl. We'll get back to Laval later on. But uh, yeah, you being in New York, you got a first taste of uh, John Tortorella, the, the one and only Torts. Tell me, tell me about. The character, the yeah, that that guy. Man, it was it was awful as a young guy. It was terrible. <laughs> um, you know, he was just he just kept everybody on edge. And then out, you know, like I'm already kind of like a a shy kid. I'm going onto this team. You know, I just got called up, and and in 2010 when I got called up, um, like it was still kind of the era where like, if you're a rookie, like you shut your mouth, you don't, you don't say anything to anybody. Veterans don't really talk to you. You, you shut up, you do your work. And and that's kind of the way it was. Um, and on top, like, you know, you don't want to step on anybody's toes. You don't want to do anything to make anybody uncomfortable. You're sitting there. You're not really talking to anybody. You got this coach calling you out, embarrassing in front of everybody. And it's like screaming at you in practice. It's like, you're just so on edge and uncomfortable. And it's like, 
ah, oh, this is ridiculous, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was just tough. And, and I, I kind of got used to it a little bit after a while. And then I called him out one time um, when he cut me and he loved it. That was mm. when we kind of like had a breakthrough Really? where he was like, he was cutting me. And I was like, I think you're making the wrong decision, man. Like I'm better than this guy, this guy, this guy. And I pointed out three guys on his team that I told him I was better than. And he's like, well, you didn't fight in training camp. I said, okay, okay. I, if that's all it took, you should have told me that, man. Like if you watch my game, like I got no problem doing that. So I got cut. And it was like one exhibition game left or two exhibition games left, like four days later. So I literally went down to Hartford, two-hour drive. Two days later, there's a game in Ottawa. I guess somebody got hurt. So like, okay, we need one more guy to come play the last exhibition game. So he calls me up. Not really a call up, but whatever. And I got in a fight two, three minutes in the game. <laughs> like I was like, okay, I'm back. You want to see me fight? We'll fight. So two minutes in the game, like... I don't know what it was. I think it was Spezza. Like I went to hit Spezza in front of their bench in Ottawa and I buried, I, cr- I kept cross-checking him. And I, I was like, okay, there's uh, Matt Karkner, uh, Nick Felino. I was like, okay, somebody's coming here. This is not going to be good. <laughs> so I ended up fighting Felino. And then uh, I went, I went to the, you know, the penalty box finished the period. I come in the first period and he comes in just right. Like he's screaming, tapping me on the leg. He's just <laughs> loving it. Like he was so fired up. And then from then we, uh, I got called up, up and down a couple more times and, and, uh, he loved it, man. We we were good from then on. And when you got traded to Vancouver, uh, it was uh, Vigneault when you got there, but then yeah. Torts ended up being hired by Vancouver. What was your yeah. reaction when, when he got hired uh, the sec- like in Vancouver? To be honest, I, I was shocked. I was shocked. It was just, he was the farthest style from what that team needed. Um, and not like the GM was going to come ask me about it or need my approval. But like, if I was in the GM's position, I would ask players that had experience with them. Like, Hey, like, tell me what you think. Like, you know, the, I, I could have made a very, very easy decision for my Gillis and been like, this guy is a horrible fit for this team. Like, you know, we had the Sedins. Um, Kevin Bieksa, Ryan Kessler, Manny Malholtra, Alex Burroughs. Uh, I don't know if I said Bieksa. Like, we had an older, experienced team. Uh, Sammy Salo, like, very older, experienced team. You didn't need to come raw, raw. The, the room kind of controlled itself there. The leaders were so good. Um, and that's what Vino was awesome at. Like, he would come in and, and, you know, show some video from time to time, but he kind of let the room run the way, you know, my first year there, we were. We were we won the Presidents Trophy. We lost LA in the first round. Terrible matchup. They they went on to win the Stanley Cup. But we had the best team in the league by far. We were crushing teams. Second year we won our division. I think we were third in the NHL. Bad matchup. We played San Jose. And then third year, Torch comes in and and like it just it didn't make sense to me, man. He comes in. He's you know he's calling out the Sedins. He's calling out Bieksa. Bieksa is giving it back to him in the locker room. You know they're telling each other to fuck off. <laughs> calling out Kessler. Kessler's giving it back to him. I'm just like, what is going This is <laughs> the furthest thing from our, our team the last two years. Yeah. And we got off to, we got off to a good start the first maybe month, month and a half. Kessler and the Sedins were playing like 27 minutes a night. He was playing one line and then just went like this after yeah. that. Like the team just tanked. It just, it was just a horrible fit. I'm pretty sure he got fired at the end of the year. Like yeah. just not a good fit. And then he went back to Willie Desjardins, who's like a very personable, nice coach. So it's mm-hmm. like, man, Mike, I could have saved you your job, man. You should have just should have just asked me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it did not work out very well for him with that style of play. Is he like? Could we say like? Is he better? I was gonna say like he's like with the when he's got young guys, he can like 
have a hand over them. Whereas, yeah, you can intimidate, you can intimidate exactly. them a little bit. Like, but again, it's tough. Like as a young guy, I couldn't handle it. Um, not that I couldn't handle it. I was, I, I struggled with it. I could have got used to it if I stayed the whole year, but you know, after three years in the NHL, I was fine with that. I knew I was an NHL player. You, you know, what could he do to me? You yell at me, do all you want. You know, I'm not getting sent down. So whatever, but you know, as you have young guys, you can intimidate them a little bit. Um, you know, you can keep them on edge, you know, you can kind of hold the power over them a little bit where, you know, what are you really going to tell Henrik and Daniel Sedin? Yeah. What, what are you going to tell them? Like, <laughs> they're going to tell you to fuck off and you're going to get fired before them. Like that's, and that's what happened. So yeah. it was just not a good situation. We, we, we'd have to ask uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus. That didn't end too, that didn't end too well uh, also. And uh, anyway, no, didn't. no, it didn't, it didn't. I mean, <laughs> what a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, Columbus, like, You've had so many good players and you had such a good team and yeah. you're just losing everybody. I, I don't know if that's the city, but I, I think he had a big, you know, Part. a big play in that. Yeah. Uh, when the lockout came, you, uh, you kind of went off the map here because guys were going to Switzerland and, and, and the major Europe, European leagues and you ended up yeah. in the Netherlands. Uh, um, where you play like a, not too far from Amsterdam, and yeah. that's where you got your infamous nickname. <laughs> that I'll let you say and 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 explain. <laughs> How did that? Yeah, happen? Happen? the Dutch Gretzky, the man. Dutch Gretzky. The Dutch Gretzky. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so again, kind of like what we talked about earlier, where you know the, these like the good leagues in Switzerland and 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 all these places were like, oh, he's a fighter. We don't want him here. He won't be any good here. It's like right. Hold on a second. I had 20 goals in 40 <laughs> games last year in the American League, which is 10 times better in your league. I had 30 the year before as a 21-year-old. I'm anyways, it yeah. was it was man, it just that 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 so I was like, okay, you know what? I told my agent, I'll go anywhere. Like I was at home. I went to Vancouver for three weeks, first three weeks of September, and then I kind of I didn't pay attention as a young guy to the lockout. I was like, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, I I just played my first year in the NHL. There's not gonna be a lockout. I got I got my another one way. Like, I'm fine. I didn't pay attention. And then I went there and I started talking to the guys and Manny Maholtra and stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is actually serious. I don't think we're gonna play. So I three weeks. I left. I went home, and there wasn't many guys in Winnipeg training. I was at the lake. Um, hanging out with my like newly girlfriend that that's my wife now. So I was kind of just enjoying life, man. I was like, this is great. But I was like, I, I got to play. I got to play. I'm still young. I can't sit at home for three months, maybe miss a whole year. I can't do that. I'm too young. So I called my agent. I said, Hey, get me on a plane tomorrow. I'll, I'll go play anywhere. He literally called me back in like two hours. I got a spot in Holland. I was like, okay, perfect. I'm in. Let's go. Hopped on a plane the next day. And, uh, my, my wife came with me and, uh, oh. and we were off, man. It was just what a cool experience. <laughs> and who came up with the nickname? So what happened actually was, so I, I did pretty well there. Obviously, you know, I, I would say that league is, I would say it's a shade below the East Coast League for talent level. I would say, I would say good, good East Coast League guys would probably go rip it up there. I, I right. would think. So I, that's where the talent would be. Um, so I came back to Vancouver and again, my first year in Vancouver, I didn't, I was playing five, six minutes a night. I was fighting as much as I could. I carved out a niche on that team. That's what they needed. They went to the Stanley Cup the year before. They got bullied by Boston. They wanted someone that could, you know, play, but also be physical. So that's what I did. And the Vancouver media was like, this guy's awful. He's a fighter. He's a joke. Um, so they made it kind of a joke of it. They're like, oh, he's the Dutch Gretzky over there, but he can't do anything here. Like, so it was kind of like, It, it was negative and derogatory, so I hated it. Right. And I called out the media all the time in Vancouver for it. 
But then when I came to Montreal, it was like a positive. Like they loved it. It wasn't meant to be like a derogatory term. Yeah. It wasn't meant to like shoot me down. So I, I, when the transfer went from, from Vancouver to Montreal, then it was, you know, something that I kind of, uh, I took some pride in. That's cool that it got turned into like a positive in Montreal when, where people actually loved you. Like, yeah, no, we actually yeah. like that, that guy. Ou on revient à Dale dans un tout petit instant. Je veux juste vous rappeler, parce que peut-être que vous vous dites, mon Dieu, mais j'aime ça les épisodes de Dreadsulté, mais j'en veux plus, j'en veux plus maintenant. Je veux être éligible à des concours, je veux savoir tout d'avance. Nanana, nanana, eh ben c'est pas très compliqué, ça se passe sur notre Patreon. <rire> ouais, patreon.com slash Dreadsulté. Vous avez les deux prochains épisodes qui sont déjà là. Vous avez aussi, quand vient le temps du draft, le, le document de Chucky, vous pouvez poser des questions directement à Chucky. Mais toute l'année, on va faire tirer aussi des affaires sur le Patreon. Patreon, euh, des, des cadeaux, euh, des, 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 du gear signé, du gear de dressed tape. Il y a même une pièce de vêtements dressed tape édition limitée qui s'en vient. J'ai très hâte de vous la présenter. Et elle va être d'abord en pré-vente en exclusivité sur le Patreon. Donc, c'est vraiment votre chance si vous voulez mettre la main sur cette belle pièce de collection. Et surtout, si vous voulez être un membre de l'équipe de Dressed Tape, c'est-à-dire contribuer à... Euh, c'est quoi le terme? La post... Non, la... La pérennité. Voilà. Hein, on n'a pas beaucoup de vocabulaire de euh, ce projet qui est Dressed Tape. Ça se passe au patreon.com slash Dressed Tape. Venez nous rejoindre. Venez dans l'équipe de Dressed Tape sur notre Patreon. Allez, on retourne à l'épisode. Did I read, I might be wrong, but did I read somewhere your uh, now wife was actually like a hockey player? Or Yeah, so she she played over there too. They had a, yeah. the men's team and the women's team. So right. she played on the women's team too when we were there, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, not a lot of hockey players' wife are actually hockey players themselves. Like themselves. Yeah, I don't know very I don't know very many. I don't think many of them could skate. I know Montreal has uh, their wives go play a little bit, but I, it's, right. it's pretty funny. I've never seen them. I've never actually seen them skate, so I don't want to... I don't want to comment on on if they can or not, but I think they probably they probably struggle a little bit. And like being like an hour away from Amsterdam, was everyone like always smoking weed? Like was that like was oh, that? Yeah. A, oh yeah, that like it, it was it was like you know like Canada now essentially, but more open where yeah, like yeah. the coffee shops and and everything are, are everywhere and bakeries and everything. So it was it was a cool experience, man. <laughs> Did guys play high? <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't think they were playing high. Not, not that I know of. Maybe I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, they were pretty progressive over there. So it was, it was. Yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah, and before, before he came over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, you finally get traded to Montreal in the uh, Rafael Diaz trade, uh, if I recall, uh, yeah. which might be the best thing that ever happened to you. Why, after like so many years in the NHL and like grinding, grinding your way up, why did for some reason everything come together in Montreal and you finally like unleashed yeah it was um all opportunity man all opportunity like i said in in Vancouver for you know the better parts of three years i didn't i didn't leave off the fourth line i never got a chance to do anything more than you know go dump the puck and don't get scored on or try to fight provide some energy play six minutes and that was fine because i did what i had to do to you know get my foot in the door in the NHL, but I, I knew I, I always knew I could do more. I never played that role anywhere in my life. Like in the American league, I scored, I was on the first lament. I, I was a really, really at 21. Like I said, when I had 30 goals, there wasn't a guy 21 and younger that had more points than me or more goals in the whole American hockey league. Mm -hmm. Like it, 
you know, at 22, I had 20 goals in 40 games. Like I, I put up good numbers. I can play. I've, you know, it, it was, it was just getting that opportunity where I came to Montreal. I had great line mates. I, Who were they? My, uh, when I first came there, it, it was, I played with Moen and Prusty a little bit, uh, Bourneval, um, Danny B. I played with Ryan White a little bit. So I had, I had great line mates. Um, you know, no disrespect to the guys that I played with in Vancouver, but I, I played with better guys in Montreal, w- which obviously helps. Um, and then our role was bigger. We, we played a ton. You know, you look at when we got to the playoffs, um, you know, against Tampa, me, Bourneval and, and Danny Breer started and Michelle Terran was before the series. Like you guys are going to play a lot. We're going to use you a lot. Be ready. And it was nice to finally be counted on. And then you look at, at the progression, you know, I come back the next year and, you know, I was like third, fourth line, but very early I was getting chances. I was playing, you know, whenever Parento would struggle, he'd go down the fourth line. I'd come up on the first time with Pacioretty and Darren A. Oh my God. And it produced every time I went up, it worked. So it just kept happening. You know, guys have bad games. Boom. I'm playing well. You, you give me an opportunity or I start with them and I play well. And, um, you know, I just playing with good guys and getting the opportunity. That's all you need sometimes. Like I said, there's so many good NHL players that have careers on the third, fourth lines that could be top six guys with the right opportunity. How was it playing with uh, Danny B? He came on the podcast too. Uh, I mean, the guy had a huge legend, career. Man. Legend. Uh, it was so cool. <laughs> like he so was cool to play with him. He was towards the end of his career, but still he could, he had, he still had the, the IQ. He still had some, some skills in him. Like playing oh, with him was like one of, he, he was so good, man. He was so good. I, the, the one line that I always like, took with me from that moment is you know we're sitting there and we played really well in game one against Tampa and I remember this and our line was playing well we were creating chances but we didn't play a lot in the third period we played like two shifts and I'm sitting there and he could tell I'm getting frustrated I'm like fuck our line's playing good man. like we gotta get out here we can score the winners tie game like we can score the winner and he was like just be patient be patient they're gonna need us in overtime they're gonna need us so like save your energy don't don't get excited and I said okay I was like, geez, if Danny B is saying this to me, I better relax here and get ready. And then sure enough, we go in overtime. He sets me up. We score the winner. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was a, pre- it was a pretty cool moment. And, uh, you know, definitely one I never forget. That 2014 run, that 2014 run was just incredible that year. I know like things came together for some reason. Like what was the magic? Like what, what happened that year? Cause I mean, you don't go to the, uh, to the conference final every year. It just, it, it, there's so many elements that need to just stick and Thomas Vanek coming in at the deadline for like a second oh, yeah. and a prospect like, Oh God, Oh, that happened. Cool. Uh, and, 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 and Danny B and you came in and, and, and Kerry was on his game. Like what happened that year? What was the magic? Like, yeah, we, I knew when I got there that we had a really good team and, and, you know, the team knew that, like we talked about a lot. We're like, if we can get on a run here and, and we can get healthy, there's a lot of guys out. I know when I got there, there was lots of injuries. Um, and then even going into the, you know, the first round of the playoffs, guys were kind of everywhere. We had different line combinations. Um, but, but I knew there was something special about our team and obviously having Carey Price and, and net, um, you know, if you got in, you had a chance and man, we just caught lightning in a bottle. I don't think anybody expected us to beat Tampa and in you know, four. We won one game. <laughs> And we are, you know, we had contributions from everybody. We had good, you know, pretty good contributions throughout our lineup. We win game two. We're like, how are we up to nothing right now? Who's <laughs> expecting this? And we come out in game three and like game three to me, I don't know if I've ever heard a building. 
uh, that loud in my life. Like Jeanette Renault comes out and like Danny B's like tell yeah. me about her and yeah. the building is like just electric. And then, you know, Renee Bork scores seven seconds. Like the building was just insane. Like I haven't heard that building that loud in my life. I haven't heard any building. And it was just like, okay, we're not losing this game. We go on and win that one. And then at three, nothing, you know, it's over. You win. And then once we won that series, you know, everyone's like, okay, there's no way they're beating Boston. Boston's the best team in the league, 117 points. But our, we had so much confidence in our room. In our room we we're like, eh, we're going to beat Boston for sure. And we come out, we steal game one. Um, you know, and as the series goes on, there was never any doubt that we were going to win that series. It, it was like, we had so much confidence in our, in our group. And it just, from everybody like Gianta George's like, you know, just really, really good leaders. And, uh, you know, Danny B obviously with his you, experience, you drove Lucic crazy in that series. Oh man, their whole team. I just had their team. So wound up. they just, <laughs> they wanted to fight so bad. Sean Thornton and Milan Lucic wanted to fight so bad and I just wouldn't give it to them. And they just, they couldn't, and McQuaid too. And, um, who's the other guy in D? They had lots of guys that were just so mad just because I wouldn't fight them. And I was like, finishing a check every time, every time, every time I'm hitting, boom, little hack. And like, they were getting so mad. And Sean Thornton was just, man, I could just look at them and warm up and they were so wound <laughs> up and I would just stare at them and laugh. And, oh man. And then we were scoring too. Like our fourth line was out, like, you know, it was Thornton, Pae and, um, uh, Gregory Campbell and it was like that was considered the best fourth line in the NHL and right. our line was dominating them yeah and um, you know that that was a that was a uh, that was a big story in that series that's one of the only times I've ever seen someone in the the, the lineup at the end of the shake how would you call it the uh, line yeah. yeah the handshake the handshake that when the, the series is over like it's over now like we're like you're going on to the next round they're going on a vacation and he's just fucking yelling at you in the line like every, and it was like oh, what's yeah. happening that's never happened that's that'll never happen again too like that'll just that just you just don't see that it's no. never happens and you just like i think it's just recently on your podcast that you mentioned what he actually said to you yeah he was yeah, like, it was um you know he was i think it was a combination of things it was like they were expecting to win the stanley cup they were expected to dominate us they were expected to bully us um and just none of that happened just and <laughs> they just probably he just probably never expected and then the fact that i was scoring two in the series and i just it got made a, a big thing too and it, it blew up with him and um it was just crazy man i think i would love to see him now we could have such a good laugh about it me and yeah. him and uh and it would be pretty funny we could have some beers together and joke about it for sure because it'd be pretty funny do you guys uh, do you guys uh Have ever talked since or like, never, never really talked since? No. Oh, no, that's funny. No, but I think I think we could have some beers and laugh yeah, about it now. It's all in the past. Um, yeah. You got to the the final, the, the conference final against um, the Rangers, and everyone, at least in the city here, we believed we had a chance. You know, like Kerry oh, was yeah. so was so uh, hot, and then Chris Kreider <laughs> decided otherwise. Um, do you still think about that and like, oh, what if? Uh, you know, I, I, I like, I'm the most positive forward thinking person in the world. And I'm, I hate to live with, uh, regrets and what ifs. I just, I, I just don't allow myself to do it, but that is the only thing in my life that I will constantly lose sleep over and always go like, man, if Kerry doesn't get hurt there, we win the Stanley cup. I'm sorry. Like, you know, we lost game six to New York. It was a one, nothing, maybe two, nothing with an empty netter. Like, we're not losing that series with if carries a net that's probably over in five games 
Like, and, I, I liked the matchup against New York for us. There was no way they were beating us. And then, you know, you get in the final. LA was a great team. Um, but I truly believe the way we were playing and New York gave them all they could handle. I truly believe that we would have beat them. We would have been Stanley Cup champions. I would have signed a hundred year extension and I would have never left. <laughs> and bought uh, many, many trucks to your dad, uh, like until oh, for the end sure, of time. For sure. Uh, Thomas uh, Vanek was always very intriguing to me because he's like, <sighs> the guy was so talented, like effortlessly, but he had this like careless, way of playing like yeah whatever just like i'm just very good at hockey but i don't really care but like he he had this like careless demeanor like how how was uh how was playing with that guy yeah so it was i was a huge thomas vanek fan growing up so I, it was kind of cool he was one of one of the guys that i really liked when i was like 13 14 15 and he was just coming in the nhl like i loved it i i, I thought he was awesome man the way he could score his, his slappers around the world shootout moves and stuff i just i loved it So playing with him was really cool. He came on that line, um, and I'm trying to think, you know, who would have been in there like before he got there. And they they knew they had to get a winger for Davy and Patch. And yeah. um, when he came in, that line was electric. Like they, they were a point over a point a game for the last 20 games. I want to say every guy on that line had about 30 points the last 20 games. So the line was incredible in the regular season, and I think everybody forgets that because you watch him in the playoffs, and you know. The playoffs, it just didn't, it didn't go for him. Um, yeah. you know, he, he didn't get off to a good start. Um, and then, you know, Michelle was moving him down the lineup. I know times I was taking his shift against Boston and stuff yeah. and, and it was tough, man. He, he didn't take it the right way. And that's difficult when, you know, he, I don't know. He, he was, he was such a good guy and such a good player, man. It was, it was difficult. It was, it was tough to watch right. as a teammate because, You know, he could have he could have brought so much to us in the playoffs. Like when he came on that line in the regular season, he was lights out. He was so good. I think his first game against Colorado, he got a hat trick. I, I'm like something like oh, that. Probably, like, probably. He had a couple. I think down the stretch, he was unreal. Yeah, he was. He was a uh, very, very good. Um, in that run, of course, like PK was a huge part of it. Like he was electric. Uh, a lot of teammates have come out, and they were not like big fan of uh, of of PK as a teammate. What was your relationship? to pk and what did you think of him as a teammate yeah i loved pk me and pk are still you know best friends to this day we, we talk all the time we joke all the time um i i honestly don't understand what what guys didn't like about him i honestly don't understand it um i don't know like me and him are kind of the same like we have we have a lot of energy we're always bubbly we're always kind of laughing and happy in the room we like to like build people up uh we like to have some fun I don't know when it came time to work PK was there like he he practiced as hard as anybody he worked out harder than anybody um he was always in the gym so I, I don't know what what guys issues with I I I don't know like I don't care what a guy does away from the rink what he wants to do he wants to be on social media he wants to be on commercials you want to do whatever the hell you want like I don't care that doesn't affect me when you come to the rink and it's not affecting your game I don't give a shit what you do away from the rink and I think PK in his prime years was still in the era of the NHL where it was like, don't be on social media. Don't mm. be a sideshow. You know, don't say too much in interviews, the old school NHL culture, which is still there, but it's kind of going away a little bit. Now I feel like if PK Subban came into the league right now, the league, uh, you know, as a younger in his prime, 
man, the league would have would would thrive with right. a guy like that. He would sell tickets. He still does. But that's you need guys. That's where the NHL drops the ball. They don't sell the game. Players don't sell themselves. PK Subban sells tickets. He sells shirts. He puts people in the stands, regardless if you like him or not. And to me, I like him. Do you feel like the guys thought he was? He thought he was bigger than the team. Yeah, that one too. I, I don't understand. Like, if you're the best player on the team. You have to have some arrogance to you. Every guy that I've played with that's the best player on the team has a little bit of arrogance. They know they're the best player. And he he was. He was our best player. So I I don't I I don't know. I I just have a hard time with what guys didn't like. I don't know what they didn't like. Like, you know, the cameras come to him all the time. Like, like it's good. He's exciting. Like I just, I'm not envious of anybody. I'm not jealous of anybody. Maybe that's why I don't have any problems. Like, right. that's why I liked him. I don't know. I was, I'm happy to see people succeed. I'm happy to see people, you know, getting what they deserve. And, and you know, being happy for people doesn't take anything away from you. And I think people have a right. hard time with that. Do you think he can bounce back? And, uh, and, and, because he's had like a couple of, of rough seasons, but do you think, do you think PK still has it in him to? I think he's he's still a very very good NHL defenseman for sure for sure I yeah. th I think he can you know like I said he, he <laughs> trains hard he takes care of himself he lives his life he enjoys yes he does uh, you know as much as anybody but when it's time to work he works so you know I I think he's got a couple more good years in him for sure I don't think he's 2014 PK Subban but he's 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 a, a really really good NHL defenseman and, and can play a lot more years you wanted to stay in Montreal you wanted to get a contract which a contract offer which never happened at the time and you end up being traded to Chicago which turned out to be a great trade for the Canadians because they got I know they got the pick uh, that ended up who ended up being a Romanov uh, but on your end uh, you when you got to Chicago like you were having a huge season in Montreal this season of your like a career season like mm -hmm like half a point per game or something. It was just like incredible. Oh, um, yeah. like goals were just going in and you get to Chicago and for some reason it just doesn't like, ha what, what happened in Chicago? What was your experience there? Oh, man, I was back to square one again, you know, like um, you go from, you know, playing on the second power play unit um, in Montreal and, and, you know, I was, I was on the third line and, um, you know, playing with good players. We were playing, I was playing, you know, 14 to 16 minutes a night. I, I got on the penalty kill. Like I was playing a ton. I had a huge role on the team and I went to Chicago. I didn't, I couldn't skate for two weeks. I don't want to get into the long ended story about, you know, visas and everything, visas, but it yeah. took me two weeks to get there. And by the time I got there, I skated with the team for the first practice and Joel Quenville goes, yeah, I don't really know a lot about you. So uh, <laughs> sit the first game out and, and we'll see if I can get you in there. Right. And I'm like, hold on a second here. I, I'm on, on pace for a 25 goal season and I'm, I'm not going to play. Like you just traded for me. We're making a push and I'm going to sit in the stands. Like what is happening here? Like I was just told and man, I, when I went in, I would play like, you know, I played with two guys and again, no disrespect. Anybody that plays in the NHL is a good player, but these were two guys that didn't play in the NHL the year before. And the year after that, they didn't play in the NHL. Mm. So, you know, they, they were not NHL talent players. So our line wasn't, wasn't very good. We didn't play a lot. I would play like six minutes. You know, they had high-end talent. They had some two of the best lines in the NHL. Um, you know, they had Taves, 
uh, and Hosa on one line, and then Kane Panarin and Anisimov on one line. Um, and then they had a checking line, a third line. Um, was Teravine and Fleischman, and you know that's where I thought I was traded for to play. That's what I was told originally. But um, you know, either way, I didn't play a lot. I was, you know, the last twenty games of the season, I played sixteen. I was scratched every like three games. I'm out of the lineup. Start the playoffs. I didn't play the first four games. I come in for game five. I score the winner. You know, it's and the coach is like, "Oh, I should have used you." Like at the year end meeting, Joel Quenville is like, "Hey, I finally figured out what you can do at the end of the year. I should have used you, but." Uh, <laughs> I guess it's too late because you're unrestricted and you're probably not resigning here. I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> and then I met with Stan Bowman. Stan Bowman was like apologizing. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. Uh, I probably, I probably cost you some money and, and uh, I really didn't think it was going to go down like this. Like I'd respect that he apologized, but it was just a horrible situation, man. Terrible do you, setup. Do you think you lost some money on your UFA contract because of Chicago? Oh, I lost tons of money, man. I lost a lot. <laughs> I, I, if I would have stayed in Montreal and kept playing, I, I, I easily could have, you know, not easily, but I, I probably easily a million a year. More? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's four million that you think you could have. I could have. I, I would have been at three and a half, probably three, three and a half a year. Right. As a twenty-five goal scorer. Yeah. Would have. I would have been. I would have been. Tw- I would have been over twenty for sure. Yeah. And I had three, three million on the open market every day. Right. Um. You were with some. You mentioned you mentioned them. A lot of very good players. Like you play with. Like you saw Patrick Kane up front in practice, and Hosa was still there. Did you see his? Were you aware of his skin condition at the time? Yeah. So he he had some like you know he's don't really pay too much attention to guys' bodies and stuff. But like he had like uh you know he had some sores and stuff on his legs and stuff that you would see. But I and he would take some days off from time to time. But I figured you know he's older guy this guy's played in the Stanley Cup final the last seems like 10 years so yeah he's just probably taking some rest days I didn't realize it was as bad as it was oh you guys didn't know he was like about to retire no I had no idea right no idea and he was still unreal he he could so play man. yeah he he was still good they they call it Taves that um they dub him a captain serious like his leadership is is it uh what we hear about it like is he the leader he's we've inc- incredible he's absolutely incredible man he's he's so i i we're the same age so we both grew up in winnipeg playing against each other so i knew him from the, oh, we were okay. like seven years old so i i played against him you know i lost so many city finals to him like you know seven eight nine we lost so <laughs> many times to them in the finals it was crazy um but i didn't know a lot about him i hated him because I, i lost to him my whole life <laughs> and then finally when i got a chance to play with him man i i absolutely love the guy like He's everything everybody says and more. Everything about the way he leads, uh, the type of person he is, man. He's he's as good as it gets. There's, uh, you know, surefire Hall of Famer, man. He's he's yes. unbelievable. Very first ballot, very easily. Uh, you end up signing in uh, signing in in Philly, of course, and you uh, uh, you you've talked about it, but was not again the greatest of fits, and you ended up being traded to Montreal. But I, I heard you say about your your, your time in Philly that. You thought the there was a, a lack of leadership, and the the word you 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 use is account accountability. Uh, what did yeah. you mean by that? And like, what was happening in that locker room? Yeah, so you know, you look at the the teams that I played on, uh, Vancouver. I was spoiled with with the amount of leaders that we had there and the type of guys that we had. Um, you know, you come to Montreal, you get a chance to play with, uh, you know, Brian Gionta, Danny Breer, Josh Georges, guys like that, you know, Travis Moen, um, you know, the list goes on of, of just incredible leaders go to Chicago. You know, I was only there for three months. I, that was all I needed to see, man. Like 
Taves and, and uh, Seabrook and Keith, like these are like, you know, the elite guys of our generation. And then, you know, you go to Philly and I could immediately see when I got there within weeks, why this team was so talented and just never, never did anything. Mm -hmm. it, it was so obvious to see everything from just the way they went about doing things, man. And, and it was just obvious to see why they weren't, weren't, they weren't, weren't successful and they weren't going to be, um, it's just so, so many things, um, you know, and it starts at your top, um, you know, coaching and then, you know, your, your top guys on the team got to, got to pull everybody in the right direction. And that's, uh, you know, that there was a, a difference in accountability for guys here as opposed to the guys here. And that really, really separates the team very quickly. Right. Um, we're going to get, because I want to talk about so much stuff with you. So we're going to move on to, to Montreal when you get traded back. I, get, I think you, you were rather happy with that, coming back to the team where you had oh, I was most I was pumped because I was waiting for a trade in Philly. And, yeah. you know, Chuck Fletcher, for some reason, like, sent me home. I couldn't even practice with the team. It was such a weird scenario. Yeah. Um, just one day, he's like, hey, you're going to be traded. And I knew I was getting traded in Montreal. Like, my agent already told me it was, it was pretty much a done deal. So I was waiting for it to happen. And, you know, it was like bye week. And then this week didn't happen. I don't know if someone was injured. He's waiting for someone to get healthy. One of the guys in the deal had to get healthy for the trade to happen. So ended up going a couple of weeks. And then eventually uh, the trade happened. Obviously, I was ecstatic. I was ecstatic to come back, yeah. um, you know, to a, to a general manager that believed in me, um, you know, in, in a place that I had a ton of success in. Absolutely. And then you come back and then you ended up, you know, uh, shuffle between Montreal and and Laval, and that's uh, that's when we first. Uh, I don't know if I can say met. We kind of came came across. Cross, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I gotta talk about that because <laughs> Joël Bouchard is one of the funniest characters, and funny in a not in the in the sense that he makes jokes. Uh, funny in the sense that he's like he's got this gym like. He's got the uh, some high school gym class teacher energy to him. Like it's just weird, and I, yeah, I there's nobody like him. He's he's one of a kind. <laughs> he's really one of a kind. And I remember going in and I I I, I spoke with a few of the French guys. Alexandre Alain was there and and yeah, Bell Bells, guy. absolutely. And he uh, and just talk with a few of the guys. And I I would sometimes like come in with a few like ideas. I we thought about doing this kid and that. And guys go, oh, alright, cool. Let's do it this way and. Yeah. And then they say, all right, we're going to introduce you to the guys. So I don't know if you probably don't remember that, but I remember so vividly. And we go into the, the video room. And then the guy who directs the videos is like, oh, God, I'm going to go talk. And then he ends up being like very nervous and not very comfortable in English. And he's like, ah, and this Dave is a, David, David is a stand up comedian. And like, and I see all your, you guys' heads turn like this guy. This guy is a funny guy. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right. Like, no one here knows me. Like, maybe a few French guys, but probably not. And then put you on the spot. Hey? Yeah, yeah. And I, but but the guy was, was just, giving you the John Tortorella vibe. Yeah, but he was just so nervous. Actually, he was like trying to do well. Like, hey, he's a stand-up comedian. Like, yeah, they don't yeah. care. Real, like, it's pretty obvious. And then I, I was like, all right, I'm gonna help him out. Like, he's drowning there. So I was like, hey, let me. I'll, I'll pick it up. And I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? I'm David. Just introducing myself. And I remember turning and like seeing your face for some reason sticking out. Like, with your like, you had like this like very good like smile. Like, yeah, cool. All right, cool. Like, like you had like this okay. good attitude face. Like, all right, for sure. And, um, and I go, Hey, uh, like, we're just going to be filming a few stuff. Like, that's like, I might come up to you with some idea and, but like, feel free to say, like, I'm not going to make you dance or do silly stuff. I hate those videos. I would hate to be one of the players. Like, 
Yeah. I'm, there's going to be some skits, maybe some stuff, and I'm always the, the, the dumb one. Like, the, the whole angle was me trying to be on the team. And of course, I'm right. like the worst, and like, I'm not a good player. And I'm just like, <laughs> that was the whole angle. And I, I, I had a, a thing with, with Bell where I would like put his stuff away and put mine. And he would come in and I'd be like, yeah, and I am taking your spot. And I wrote a poem to Alexander. And I, like, it, like, stupid stuff, you know? But I'm always the dumb one. Like, I, I'm the, the, the silly guy, you know? And, uh, and I go, yeah, I just want to like, like, I know like hockey players are funny per- person, like players are funny. Like they're, they have a great sense of humor and like, yeah. it's always pranking around and then jokers in the room. And so I tell the guys, yeah, we're going to like, just show the, like, I guess, lighter side of you guys. And like, I could see like Joe is getting like pumped up and like, he can't wait for me to like, to be done. And then he's like, all right, uh, I'm just going to add, uh, uh, something about this. Uh, and then he starts like, he's way too intense. Like, your impression I'm, is pretty good. Holy like, shit. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, like, I'm doing videos for the web for the, for the, the, the rocket, like, the Laval rocket. Like, let's like tone it down here. Like, not that many people are going to see that. And he's like, all right, <clears throat> just wait a second here. Um, all right. Like, and I, some of the young guys here, uh, just, uh, hearing that. Yeah. Like, uh, being fun. And he's like, 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 man, you gotta keep going. That's so good. <laughs> he's like, sounds pounding. Like starts pounding. And he's like, I don't want to see any of you guys on the fucking, like during a game on the jumbotron doing some stupid stuff. Do not forget you represent the Canadians uh, organization. And I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, what is this? Like, and I'm like, yeah, and I and I had this afterwards. Like, yeah, like by the way, I'm completely on board with that. Like, I'm yeah. like, if you don't want to do anything, like, you just tell me. I don't care. Like, this is just for fun. Like, and he's like <laughs> super serious. And like, there's other like there was a like a like sort of skit, like a, a bit I had like thought of and kind of prepared where I would like try to to um, uh, you know. Uh, have the coach on my side like i would i i had i had bought some gifts for joel that would be like hey you know i might be in this team and like i'd bought a few items for him like like as a joke and one of yeah. the items was uh, like a touch of gray you know for like for the hair yeah because yeah, he had like sure. a touch of gray style and i had like <laughs> a few items like that and like his dvd he did back in the day for like players in quebec and stuff and they were like oh like it's never gonna happen like he's not he's not gonna do that like he doesn't do any of like nothing and i was like oh can we do like instead something else? no and then it was like all right so we had to turn it around it was always like on the fly and imp- improv like on the go because we had like so little time and it was like all right let's let's like do a thing where can we use his his office like and he's like yeah you can like put the gifts in his office and we, we did some jokes like that while he was training we had like his office for a few minutes so i was like all right let's like do this quickly and then i put the i had put like a pictures of me like kissing his dvds on his desk and like (laughs) stuff like that you know and he comes in like like sort of wet from the training and he's like all right and we're like and we had like we were like it was all right for us to be be there because like the calm guy was there with us he's like yeah just and he comes in and he's like, uh, where's Charlie? And I'm like, what? What? He's like, where's Charlie? And I'm like, what is he, what is he talking about? Like, we don't even know each other. It's like, I'm like, like, shall you don't? Like, shall you don't? He's like, no, like, where's, and he's talking about Charlie Lindgren that because it was the waivers day and he wanted to know if Charlie had cleared waivers and was on his way down. And I was like, oh, I, and I like, but just the you way you. Yeah, it's like the way he came in, like, like I'm gonna ins- like install authority here, like, and people yeah. are gonna oh, get, yeah. like, it's like, what are you talking? Like, 
what? Yeah. It's like, and like, how are you not laughing at acting this way? And I remember talking about some of the boys, like, this guy is hilarious. Like, how do you not laugh all the time? And he was like, oh, we do. And I was like, and, and I, don't, I oh, yeah, yeah. I remember say, saying to a guy, that guy is a character. And he says, oh, that's how he is. That's actually how he is. I was like, yeah. oh, and you guys oh, yeah. not don't laugh. Like, you, you can keep a straight face. And he's like, oh, we laugh. But it's like, he's, he's always like that. And it was, to me, it was hilarious. <laughs> like, his, his whole... Dude, I, la- I laughed my whole time there. <laughs> not like, he'd be serious doing that stuff, and I would just be laughing. I was like, I can't take this guy serious, like, man. He was like, used to junior and, like, the whole, like, prep speech yeah. and stuff. But, like, yeah, you feel like you're watching, like... Um, What is the what is the French movie I used to watch in French? Lay Boys, like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would even say Lay Boys sometimes. So it's like, holy fuck, man! How do I take this guy serious? <laughs> so you've uh, you've you've talked about him. Like, tell me about like because you like there was like sort of a myth around him. Like, oh, this guy's the ultimate coach to develop to develop talent. But yeah, I I don't get it, man. There was as for like a hockey standpoint, is like to say he's like teaching and developing. I I don't. I don't know where that was coming from. And then from a personal standpoint, I just wouldn't want this guy around my prospects. It's not how you, it's not how you treat people. I don't care if you're old school or how you want to do things, but that's just not how you treat people. Um, you know, calling, you know, embarrassing guys in front. Like that's, that's like 10, at least 10 years ago. You do that. Yeah. Like that's, you can't do that now. That doesn't work with guys. Um, And he just, he had a really good way of putting on this act where like, you know, a couple of th- where I was hurt and I'm watching game, the intermissions on the Jumbotron and, um, you know, he, he's doing the, giving these interviews, like he's like your dad, like he's this nice guy <laughs> that like really cares about the guys and he's there from. And it's like, well, I, I certainly don't see this guy. I don't know who this guy is on the Jumbotron because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And, and, and do you think like, um, regard, like, regarding uh, Ryan Paling's uh, path like did it slow him down like because he had like this whole oh, I, I think I think he he definitely didn't help he definitely didn't help him um you know it was an adjustment for Pales coming down I think you know I've talked about it on my podcast a little bit where you know he he you know he he, he was riding obviously that big year yeah and he comes into training camp boom he gets sent down okay whatever he's not playing he's not playing great he he was okay to start the year And then you call him up and then he sits on the bench for three weeks, not, not playing. Yeah. And then you send him down and then he's not playing. And you keep and like, you got to get called up to the NHL when you're playing well and you're feeling confident. That's, and then put him in a situation where you're going to succeed. Don't, don't sit him on the fourth line yeah. where he's not going to play it as a 20 year old kid. Like that, that doesn't do anything for anybody. So and, it's, they, they mishandled that one a little bit. I think as an organization, Joel definitely didn't help the kid, um, you know, with his antics and stuff, but, You know, he, he worked his way through, obviously had a great year this year. And I, I, I can't wait to see what he does for Montreal this year. The, did uh, the way Joel talked to the young guys versus the veterans, was it different? Like, was he like intima- uh, intimidating with the young guys and like kind of had to respect guys like you at the same time? Like, yeah, he was, he was like, I wouldn't say he treated me poorly. I, did, I didn't like some of the things that he did. Um, I didn't agree with you know, some of his decisions with me, but you know, I wouldn't say he treated me poorly, but the way he was treating younger guys, I, I, I just didn't agree with, I, I don't think that's the best way to get the most out of people. And I just, I, I don't think that's, 
it's just such an old school way of doing things. I, I, I went through that and I just, I know what it does to people. And I, I don't think that, that young kids should go through that. And the whole like, oh, but he's a Nexus and O's type of guy was also like, yeah, I, don't, not... I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> I really don't know where that one came from. I, just, I, I mean, I heard all the myths in Quebec. Like I got, it blew my mind when I heard some of these. T- tell me about like the practice that, what was it like the practices that like you said, like the other teams were like kind of laughing at you guys? What, oh like the... man, morning skates, we would be doing stops and starts at the end of practice. <laughs> we do stops and starts. <laughs> Everybody line up on the blue line and he would call out numbers like red line, twice, blue line, like morning skates. Only I've ever seen that. Like other teams are sitting there like, I don't know if you thought it was like old school, like the other teams are watching. They're like, fuck, these guys are prepared. They're ready to play. But really it was just ridiculous. It was like, what, what are we doing? Like you, you don't, stops and starts in a morning skate man come on it's very like miracle type. we would do man we would do these drills these shooting drills i don't know if this was his considered like his skill drill where like man he would be you just skate you just skate down the middle like two lines on the blue line yeah skate down the middle of the ice there's no goalie he just passes you the puck and you just shoot it <laughs> and you just keep doing this this was a drill we do all the time then we did this one drill it was so ridiculous we did it every single day And he would he would chip the puck in the corner, and you would just go like close it out in the wall. And guys were so sick of doing the drill that you guys would just do it half assed. You would just let the guy close you out and take the puck, so it would be over quicker. Like and, and he just he couldn't see that, and we would What? do it every single day. It was so ridiculous. It sounds like really it really sounds like a high school type of coach. <laughs> Like really, like the the whole like closing out and the very over. There was a lot of things, man. That just I was, and again, I maybe because I was in the NHL so long. That's how the American League was doing things now. But I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't agree with some of the things. Did you sometimes think like to yourself, like I have way more NHL games than you? <laughs> I guess <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't look at it. I never looked at it that way. I, I, I never like, you know, I haven't played for a coach that you know played more games than i did but like yeah I, i i respect coaches i i i don't ever have that attitude towards them but um you know when you disrespect me like you know i'm I'm not going to respect you mm-hmm. and, and and i'll i'll let you know about that like and then i just would know, he would he like call you out in front of the boys that's what like, uh, stuff like that I don't know, like maybe a couple times, but I got no problem with that. That's fine. Like I'm an older guy. I'm, I, I played in the NHL for a while. Like you want to set an example? Like I'm okay with that. That's fine as an yeah, older yeah. guy. As a 20-year-old guy, don't embarrass him in front of everybody. Like take him aside, yeah. have some personal skills and talk to him. As an older guy, that's fine. You do that. But like, I don't know. One time, man, he was, he was I don't know what even what, what the deal was. Like he was screaming at me on the bench one time and I just turned around. I was like, all right, enough enough like i just told him like relax enough like he was just non-stop chirping in my ear i was like enough shut up yeah and then he's like i'll fix you i'm gonna fix you and he kept chirping at me for the rest of the game jesus and i, I didn't even say anything back and he just kept chirping at me i'll fix you i'm gonna call montreal you're done you're finished i'll ruin your career and i'm like jesus what is wrong like okay man relax go for it go for it that was a coach <laughs> Yeah. And then like, you know, he scratches me the next day and I was like, he's like, has this conversation with me and tells me, he's like, you're done. You're finished as a player. You're done. I don't see it. You're done. I was like, okay. I thought, I thought coaches. You you want to scratch me? Go for it, man. Like, go for it. I thought coaches were supposed to, supposed to help players, but uh, yeah, that's just a different way to look at it. Anywho, speaking of coach, uh, coaches, uh, when uh, Claude Julien got uh, let go by Montreal, 
I think you tweeted out something like, oh, uh, the Habs are going to take less too many man penalties. And I wanted you to, <laughs> to light me up on this one because like, I think the way he rolled the lines or something was like unclear. Yeah, he, never, he, never, he just never called who was up. I've never seen that before. That was really unique. That was something I had to get used to um, when I got there because it's just, you never know. It's just chaos on the bench at all times. You never know who's going, who's playing. You just never know. I've never seen that before where a coach doesn't call the lines out. So how did you know when you had to go? Well, you just kind of the lines kept rolling, but then, he, but here's the thing, the lines keep rolling, but he had his matchups in his head that he wanted, but he would never tell anyone what the matchups were. Right. And then he, he didn't want the matchups sometimes, but then he did, but he wouldn't say anything. So you just, it was just a guessing game all the time, man. But then, you know, like when you do hop out there, he's screaming at you to get off and it's like, well, fuck, someone had to go play. Like we were shorthanded, man. Yeah. So it was, that was weird, man. But I guess he did that in Boston too. And I, I guess, you know, they, they won the Stanley Cup, so he felt good about it. He looks like, Claude looks like such a shy type of guy. Like, was he like, did he command like respect or did people, because he's won the Cup and stuff and, and all, but. For sure. Yeah. I think he commands respect. Like he, um, you know, he coached for a long time. He had a lot of success. So I think, I think, you know, when you, when you have the resume that he did, he, I think he commanded respect. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in order to, co you can command respect and, and, be respected i think are two different things right um i think he, you got to show some respect to be respected and um i don't think claude julian is a bad person i don't think he's a bad coach um i just think the times kind of moved past him a little bit right in the coaching standpoint where um again i don't know if he's the best for young guys not a lot of communication and I just, I don't know. I don't know. He, there wasn't a lot of communication. I think, you know, with the young guys now, I think, he, you know, you got to, there's more pats on the back with younger guys now than, than the old school where you're screaming that, at guys, you know? That couldn't be a, it couldn't be a better transition for one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about before letting you go. But the KK situation to me was, I, it really, um, uh, uh, I was really disappointed with how this turned out. I was really shocked. Uh, I knew, and I know like 6.1 was, messing up with, with, with Bergevin's structure and all, but I loved KK. I was a huge fan from the get-go. We had him top top three, top four the, the year of his draft, and I was like, we're going to watch this guy develop for a decade. It's going to be awesome. And then it was like the the offer sheet, like, ah, of course, blah, blah, the, the Carolina thing. But um, you've played with KK in Laval. You've played with him in Montreal. Um What was your 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 whole take on this whole thing and 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 yeah and KK as a player too because uh, I feel like he was there was not a lot of com communication uh, with him and that kind of soured the rela the relationship anyway. Yeah, he was. I think he was left in the dark a lot, and I just I don't I don't think it's very like you know he comes in and yeah he was awesome as a rookie in that training camp when he was 18, and then he makes the team. And I don't think that was the wrong decision. I thought he had a great rookie year. For an 18-year-old in the NHL, he had a great rookie year. Yeah, yeah there's some growing pains, obviously. Um, you know, consistency. He's, he's, he wasn't the biggest and strongest kid. Yeah. But he's 18 years old. Um, you know, look at the numbers he put up. What do you have, like 30-something points, 40 yeah. points? Like, yeah, 30 he had an incredible rookie year at 18. Um, and I, I, I've said it on my pod a ton. Like, I'm such a KK believer. The way he shoots the puck... There's so very few guys that can shoot the puck in the whole league the way he can. And I truly mean that. Like, and, he, and he's seen as a playmaker. He, I, I know. Can you imagine? I know. I, but when this guy, 
just, you know, in a couple of years when he believes in himself enough, he's, he's a young kind of insecure kid. Right. And he, he, he doesn't believe in himself enough. And you can see when he scores and he starts to get confidence, he's a dangerous player. And, you know, when, when I saw KK February, 2020, um, obviously went down to the minors there. I missed him a little bit when I got called back up and played with Montreal. But then when he comes in the bubble and I see him, and he scores. He didn't play. Oh, he was okay in the first game against uh, Pittsburgh. He scores though. Second game, he starts to play play good, play really good. Scores again, yeah. and then you know, Pittsburgh series is unreal. And then Philly series, he was great. Like he was unbelievable in the bubble. And I think people forget how well he played. He was consistent every single game. He, yeah. him, and Susie were our best players against Philly, hands down every night. They were dominating. You're like, wow, like this could be the one-two center for Montreal for the next ten years. Like finally. They have two elite young centers. And then he came back and and obviously, you know, kind of up and down and stuff. But like, I just don't think they handled him well with the scratchings. And like, I don't care how poor you're playing. You don't scratch that guy. That doesn't benefit that guy. That to me is like, you sit a guy out when, you know, it's like a, a, a fourth line guy and you're trying to change the lineup. You take a guy out. That's easy to do. Or... You know, you need more from like a third or fourth line guy. You sit him out. Right. That's going to light a fire under him. That doesn't light a fire under skilled, mm-hmm. like, you know, skilled young guys. That's just like, you just piss them off. Right. It's not the way to motivate them. You don't take, you embarrass them that way. Do you, they, they, you know, and there's two sides that where people are like, well, maybe they need that. And it's like, you know, you got to understand the personality and me from meeting KK for five minutes can tell you that that's not his personality. Right. And that's not the best way to motivate that kid. And, um, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that it got to this point. I thought they were going to match it, but I, I don't think it should have got to the point where there was an offer sheet that the, the deal should have been done to 2.5, whatever it would have been. Yeah. That deal should have been done a long time ago. The, um, they kept, you know, when when they they didn't match and then they went out and get uh, Dvorak, they said uh, that maybe KK was not very open to criticism. And did did you feel that was the case that he was maybe re- like reluctant with what was asked of him? Yeah, I, I saw that a lot, and I I would I would love to hear like just a little more explanation on that. Like, you know, I don't I don't think any twenty year old kid is going to continue to to, to like being shit on all the time and told that you're no good. Like eventually at some point you're going to have some pushback. And I think that's, what's going to make him a good player is he has that pushback where he's like, you know, I know I'm good. He, he doesn't quite know how good he can be yet. Right. But when he does, he's going to be dangerous. And I think he's got that fire now and obviously a little chip on his shoulder where a team didn't yeah. believe in him enough. And, and even publicly to come out and say, you're not worth this money. That's got to light a fire under you. Yeah. Do you feel like the Canadians, they really have a style of play in mind, you know, like uh, this, uh, I had this Arpen Basu, who's a, a journalist who, who came on the podcast yeah. and he, he's, I think he's close with KK well, anyway. And, and, and he said this, uh, KK kind of let out a joke once where he's, so KK said something and Arpen says, oh, you really sound like a veteran in this league. And KK said, uh, oh, I've put, I've put uh, pucks deep in this, in this league, you know, kind of with a smirk. Uh, half joking, but kind of serious too. Do you feel yeah. like the the Habs really want a, a certain type of player? I think like one of KK's like uh, strength was control, like coming in the zone with the puck. You know, 
controlling the right. puck. Like, yeah. And we, have a, we don't have that many guys that can do that, like coming in. They always have to chip it in and go get it. And yeah. I, I think they asked that of KK. Do you feel like we have a hard time in Montreal like uh, using skills, like skill guys and, and, and respecting their natural style of play? And, you know, like KK is a good, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that goes down to coaching. I would I wouldn't say just in Montreal, and I I wouldn't pin it on the management, but I, I would say that comes down to coaching style. Um, right. Claude definitely wanted KK to keep it simple. Right. He there there wasn't a lot of room for him to be creative. Um, maybe because he hadn't earned you know the ability to you know try to beat that guy six times. You turn it over twice. I'm okay with that. I don't think he's earned that yet. Right. But I also don't think telling him to dump the puck every time and get it on the four check was KK style. You drafted this guy as a third overall player, you know, let him be creative and, and be the player that you you were high enough to draft him at third overall to be. So I think that goes down to coaching. And then you look at Dom, um, you know, we came back in the playoffs after being scratched. Like he was great. And yeah. I think he thrived under him. So I don't know. I, I think Dom allows players to be a little more creative than Claude. I think to be honest with you, I think Jonathan Duran is going to be a guy that's going to be deadly under Dom. I, right. I, I truly believe that. Um, you know, I, I saw the interview he did with Chantel. Yeah. There was just a little snippet of it where, yeah. um, you know, he's, he's in a good headspace, which I'm so glad to hear. And I, I think that's going to be a good combination. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think KK can become? Uh, what, what's his uh, ceiling for you? Like what type of player do you see him becoming in the f- next? Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know who I would compare him to, but I just think he's a, He's a big, consistent body. Like when you look at a guy, you know, when you look at Jordan Stahl in Carolina, um, when he was younger, uh, big body, strong, very like bow-legged stride, kind of like KK. Mind you, I think Stahl scored 29 goals or 30 goals in the second year in the league. But um, I think you see some similarities there. But KK is obviously a little more offensive, like big, big center, um, fits in your number two hole i think very very well i i heard they're going to play him on the wing but we'll see what happens but yeah i, I think he's a really good center that can score 25 goals and to me Absolutely. if you're a number two center that can score 25 goals you're worth six million and 60 60 65 plus points i, uh, I think he can be a 20 25 goal 25 assist 30 assist guy no problem i would i couldn't agree more <laughs> and i'm very like sad. He, he's, he's just man that what what and you can truly see like i see how he plays in games but i've seen him in practice when he's loose and he's having fun and he's playing and he's ripping it and yeah he's got an absolute grenade of a shot like yeah. he can absolutely bomb it the uh, it's the, just a matter of time the, the the moment he's gonna just release a little quicker because i think it's just his release is a little in the nhl it's so fast but the the second he's gonna get that release fired up it's he's gonna score uh, 20 goals yeah, in, in when the he league. Gets, when he gets a little confidence and gets playing and um you know i really hope for him he's such a good kid i really really enjoyed playing with him i i I wish nothing but the best. I really hope this year he yes. just explodes and shoves it in their face. So do I. I, I, I hoped he would have been in Montreal, but I, I really hope he's uh, he's good. Uh, last thing before letting you go, you started a podcast in the past year. Uh, it's called Habs Tonight, and yeah. it's on YouTube and it's on everywhere. Actually, like uh, you can get it anywhere. Yeah, you can find you can find it anywhere. Um, we're kind of all over the map. We uh, we just kind of started in February. It was something I was bored again. Like I said, I wasn't playing, so I. I Found yeah. some people on Twitter that I was, uh, you know, I liked what they had to say. I asked them if they wanted to join the team and do some things. And we've kind of 
just kind of rolled with it. We didn't really have any set plan for it. We kind of just wing it as we go and have some fun. And uh, I've had a chance to get some some current guys on there. I've had some current players, Montreal, other teams. And, uh, you know, with the season starting up, it'll, it'll be a pretty good channel to follow. We'll have tons of content, uh, you know, pre-games, post-games, recaps, and yes. uh, and all that. So it's going to be fun. What's the schedule? Like, you, do you guys are always... Are you guys always on like game days? What's the uh, this? Yeah, the so pace? we were doing. Uh, I was doing uh, interviews, you know, throughout the summer on Wednesdays, which made more sense. And then now that I'm here and time difference, it's hard to get a hold of everybody. I like to do the interviews myself with my my. Well, I got a couple of co-hosts that jump on and do interviews with me, uh, but I I preferred to do them on a Wednesday. But it's tough timing with everybody now. So yeah. Uh, they're kind of all over the place, and now getting into the season, I don't really like the bug guys. So we'll be doing more talking about the team. Um, you know, we, we, we go on on a stream on YouTube so people can come on live. They can talk with us. They can comment on the site. It's a really right. cool setup. And, um, you know, once the season starts, we'll have pregame shows, postgame shows. Uh, all those will be live. And then we'll have some recap shows during the week. And I'll try to jump on as much as I can and talk Habs uh, as much as I can. Yeah, because like the post games show are going to be in the middle of the night for you, so I guess you'll be. Yeah, so I right. can't jump on many of those. So yeah, I got yeah. I got a really great team um, that does a great job. They're diehard, knowledgeable Habs fans. I I, I truly, uh, they're such cool people. I've I've really really gotten close to them. So they they do a great job, um, and again, very knowledgeable. Otherwise, I I wouldn't have them on my team. So it, it's it's fun to tune in and just watch post game yeah. fired on your phone or whatever and it's uh, it's a good time yeah you, you've had some great clips uh i mean uh, nick suzuki was on it was a great he was interview. great he was such a good interview yeah he, he was um um not that i i i just he's so reserved and he's such a like a nice guy i wasn't sure how much he'd open up and talk but he yeah Man, I I really really enjoyed that interview. He's such a good kid. Another guy that I literally I just love him. I I wish the best for that guy. And what a what a player he is. But oh, yeah, my, incredible. my my experience with the young guys on the podcast, it, it's always the hardest one, uh, the ones to have because they're so uh, worried about saying something they yes. shouldn't say, yes, and they they don't have a lot of experience and stories and the best guys to have are the old guys because they don't give a shit about nothing and they have because you can say like i said that culture in the nhl where you can't say anything because it'll end up somewhere and this guy coached you over here and he gets fired and then he comes over here and gets a job and then he fucks you like yeah you know i'm i'd love where i'm at right now where i could literally jump on and i could give an honest opinion right no no bias and i get social media jumps on like oh you're just bitter because you're not playing it's like And I don't give a shit. Why? Yeah. What do I have to not tell you the truth? And that's why I love doing it because I can finally be a voice for guys in the league that that can't say what they really want to say, right? And, you know, give you some real stories on shit that actually happens that you'd never believe. Are you so free and open because in your mind you've turned the page on the NHL, or or to you it's like, oh, I might actually come back. I don't know. Or no, no, I I've turned the page for sure. Like I, I don't know how many more years I'll play. Um, right you know, past this year. So I got some other business things going on that I, I have a lot of passion for and I, I, I'm excited to jump into, but um, I, I've completely turned the page. So I, I have no, and I, I don't, I don't see myself coaching or, or working in the NHL. So I, I don't mind saying the truth about guys. If they were a shit coach, I don't mind saying it. If you're a bad teammate or what I like, I don't mind telling the truth. I, I can tell you the truth now. Right. It feels good, doesn't it? Uh, it feels great, man. It feels great. I wish the league would be a little more open open and uh, and be that way, but it's tough, man, because the NHL, everybody, 
hires you hire the same guys they just all circulate so yeah you can't really tell the truth about anybody been the same guys for like four, 20 years yeah it's crazy man you gotta bring in some new blood <laughs> dale this has been a blast uh for the first 15 20 minutes i thought this guy completely forgot <laughs> no no way man you were no just way. this <laughs> i was battling the internet man i wouldn't have missed it i'm glad we got a chance to do this. <laughs> uh everyone listening here if you've made it through it means you do speak english so please Uh, go and check out Habs tonight. It's uh, it's really cool. The, you've got Annick Lemire and uh, and uh, another guy with a French name, but who they also they all have French names that speak English. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, she, she speaks French, and, uh, and 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 Shane Shane speaks French too. So they yeah. do uh, Le Tour de Ligue. I don't know if I said that correct, but they do. Uh, right. They do a show too, all in French, which okay. is kind of like a French French recap show. So we we got everyone covered: French, English. Habs fans, young, yeah. old, we, we got you covered. And get in the comments. You guys can ask questions live after games, before games, and Dale's going to jump in. So, Dale, from the moment I saw you in that video room while Joel was pumping up, I knew you were good guys. You were good. And I even like, D, that's, I, I had forgotten about that, but I, while the pandemic was going on for the comedians, it was terrible because you couldn't do anything or you couldn't do any shows. And I remember doing this virtual online show in, Uh, Old Port, Montreal, and coming out with my guitar and stuff, and I was like, and I came across someone that really looked like Chu, and I kind of was on the phone at the same time, and I was like, oh my god, did I was that Dale? And like, you, I thought that you saw me. And you're like, that, did that guy just fucking ignore me? And then I DM you like, hey, was that you? Because like, if it was, I'm very sorry, I didn't like. It, it took, a, it took, <laughs> like, I had to double check. I was not sure. Like, it, I was like on the phone at the same time. You were like, that was not me. <laughs> Yeah, I would never, I would never do that to you. And I was no like, fuck, man, like, I like, I, I thought, man, he, if, if that was me, he, he must have thought, like, who does that little piece of shit think he is? I was like, no, 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 that's a, but, uh, anyway, thanks so much for coming on. That was a blast. And, uh, uh, people are going to love this. So, uh, thank you again. And, and best of luck with, uh, Sweden. And I don't know how many years you got in you, but you still got some great hockey in you. And, uh, I wish you the best. Thank you very much, man. This was so fun. We got to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Round two coming up sometimes. <laughs> hey, perfect, man. Sounds good. Thank you, man. Okay. Later, buddy. Atta boy! Merci à Dale Weiss qui a pris le temps de nous jaser directement de la Suède. Je lui souhaite la meilleure des chances dans sa carrière. Euh, toujours un plaisir d'y parler, toujours un plaisir d'entendre son opinion et son vécu sur les choses. Je vous rappelle que son podcast s'appelle Habs Tonight. C'est disponible sur YouTube, sur Spotify, sur toutes les autres plateformes. Il en fait tout au long de l'année. Donc, allez voir ça. C'est vraiment cool euh, d'avoir le point de vue de Dale. Euh, je vous rappelle, écrivez-nous hein, pour nous dire d'où vous nous écoutez. Ça nous fait toujours plaisir sur nos réseaux sociaux, euh, sur notre sur le tape, Instagram, Facebook, voilà. Et euh, on se revoit dans pas long. OK, passez une belle semaine. Bye-bye now.